it up later. Very good. So now you are you are in the safe spot. You are you are recording. I'm hot. Okay, cool. What's up, Illinois? I'm high. You might be too. And so is the quality of this podcast. All of a sudden, miraculously, we're in a, a t- television studio. It feels like, <laughs> and that's because I'm joined with. Nathan Colombo from, uh, you may remember him from WTF Carbondale. He's been on the podcast before. Welcome back to the Chillinois podcast. Ah, thanks for having me, man. Thanks for having me in, uh, in a little bit more of a candid scenario as well. Cause I'm excited about like just the depth of conversation that we get to have finally. Yeah. Well, I feel weird cause you're saying thanks for having me, but I feel like you're having, like you're having me, you're hosting this, you're shooting this, you're recording this and you'll like, you're sending me the final cut, but I like I'm sitting here and I'm watching you run around and connect everything and I'm like, should I be helping? Because usually I'm the <laughs> usually I'm the one running around and setting everything up. Right. So. Well, no, and it's a and it's a like it's a long way from just making calls on your phone with your headset in and just like turning that into mm-hmm. like a media monster that you have created with this podcast. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, it's uh, it. That is a yeah great way of saying that yeah we've definitely come a long way with this one, Chillinois. Um, this inspires me to do something like this at home, uh, but it also looks like it costs a whole lot of money. Mm. Hey, speaking of which, you can <laughs> support the Chillinois podcast by going to chillinois.net/support, and you can donate any amount of money. We're not gonna like, you know, box you into giving us five dollars. If you only have a dollar to give, you give us a dollar. If you have five, that'd be great. If you don't have any money, that's also okay. Just go to uh, wherever you listen to our podcast. Go to that streaming platform and rate us favorably. We'll take that as your support. See, so. this is this is where I've got to like I've got to clear my head and take off my interviewer hat because like my natural inclination is to ask you about your process of becoming like a Patreon style driven creator, but I'm not. I'm not going to talk about you. I'm going to let you talk about me on this go round. I'm going <laughs> to open up with like a wild experience that I had after our last like short interview that we did um, when there was like some consume event happening here in downtown Carbondale the like the day or two after like no sorry the day after the event a buddy of mine and I went out to eat at a little restaurant down in Cobden where the wait staff like after taking our initial drink order comes back and was like were you on the Chillinoy podcast recently <laughs> and like crazy. my jaw just dropped dude like That's did unreal. I did my voice just get recognized like in the middle of Cobden Illinois <laughs> right now for having been on that podcast and it was like it felt is this what stardom feels like like <laughs> yeah well hey you felt it you felt it before I did because I've not had a situation like that like you've I'm not, not had anybody recognize you yet from the podcast no there was one person at a dispensary I like rarely go to a dispensary and I felt like they were about to ask me but mm-hmm. I also kind of wanted that to be the case uh-huh. so who knows if that was <laughs> who knows if that you were like please please uh, okay yeah. cool that is recording I was like looking at it and making sure I'm always like when I'm doing my own stuff I'm always freaking out and like looking looking at and being like, is it, is it recording? Is everything coming up? Like you're always scared of like loss of any kind when you're in the middle of a conversation. Let's talk about that for just a moment. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, People like, I don't know if people realize how much goes, how much goes into this. Now, this is crazy. (laughs) This is crazy. I'll post a video of his room, but this is like, I'm gonna have to have you blur out all the secrets, man. Yeah. Yeah. No, but this is, this is insane. When I, 
think about like how I started. Like you said, yeah. I literally used to just do it off of my phone. Yeah. And now we're in the studio. It's it's pretty crazy. Um, I I'm high. I forgot where I was going with that, but it inspires me. Yeah. To to like kind of keep pushing. This is yeah. this is really insane. So. Well, and it's and it's all like it's all off the shelf stuff. Like I'm looking around and and I just see things that have been acquired over the years. And it's like, okay, cool. Now I'm looking at, I realize this stuff does add up to like some kind of money. If I was to go out and spend this all, all at once, I'd oh, put yeah. myself into like ridiculous debt for me, right? To some people, they'd be like, oh, $5,000 doesn't seem that bad, but it's like to $5,000 to guys like me and you that are broke. It's probably right. <laughs> a lot. So like I, we, we got started doing this specific form of activity when the pandemic started and I was on the board for uh, on the board for a nonprofit organization here in, in Carbondale. That's like our downtown performing arts center, the, the varsity center. It's an old movie theater. And so like to stay relevant, we we like put together this gear, some gear from a friend and some gear that I bought and some, you know, just like started putting stuff together. This started out not as like what you see here, full fledged lights, cameras, switchers, the whole shebang. It started out as a desktop computer that I had to lug around from room to room an off the shelf camera switcher from Best Buy and like a, a, a uh, standard like just Logitech webcam mm -hmm. to where I could figure out how to just like get between three different cameras at once for live performances without, um, you know, without really skipping too much. And then I found the camera switcher things that we've got in front of here. That's where, uh, that's where I'm operating from right now as we talk and getting back and forth between sure. multiple cameras. Uh, and then just figuring out, okay, well, how, how does this expand further? How do you get the audio capture out of it? How do you do all this stuff kind of live and, and in one mix? Um, and so, yeah, it, it started out as, is that is just like the opportunity to continue furthering, uh, you know, our mission during the pandemic at the, at the varsity. And then, you know, just kept going with it. Like, okay, cool. I've had this business in particular doing marketing and, and, uh, social media management for local businesses since 2014 and had always been using it to do things like produce comedy shows and like manage my expenses for the cost of producing performances for creating, um, uh, for creating some film specials. We've actually got a couple specials that we filmed and are on Amazon, both here in the U S and in the UK. Uh, and now, you know, those are a little bit more polished, but like this setup really feeds into kind of my next big comedy project, which is, uh, you know, I'm excited to like talk about this on your yeah. podcast for the first time at any bar comedy across social media. Hell yeah. At a N Y B A R comedy across social media. So the idea is that like, I take this setup that we're filming with now or one very similar to it. Right. And I go anywhere, right. It's any bar because we're playing off the dry bar yep. concept. Cause people like get that, right. It's yep. pretty easy uh, to understand like where we're going at. Oh, it's a, it's something bar comedy. It is a digital first stand-up comedy platform. Okay. That clicks with me. Now let's go into what the niche of this name kind of, works out into. And that is the ability to take this setup as a single operator anywhere, you know, a bar, any kind of venue, uh, the basement at Lost Cross for those that are like from around here or like have been around Carbondale and like know the punk rock scene. Like we film stand up comedy in the basement at Lost Cross because we can take this gear anywhere right. and make a, you know, not a Netflix level production out of it, but like I'd say 80% too is pretty okay. 
right? Like, <laughs> no, the, the thing you showed me before we got on air is, is pretty crazy. And I like that you've pit yourself into this corner because now you have to release this content. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, any bar comedy will have all the information in the show notes for folks, uh, that makes it easier on you just check out the show notes in the podcast description and you can find any bar comedy across the internet and it's a project that i gotta say i'm super excited for yeah. before we talk about that what i wanted to i think this will be a natural transition into that topic yeah uh, you got me back on track by describing everything uh, that you that you've had to do in the evolution of this process. Yeah, I don't think a lot of people realize what goes into making content yep. and everything else, and so um, it's hard to really. You can't expect them to understand that without seeing it. Hell, yeah. I don't totally understand it. Yeah. Now seeing this, I'm like, oh my gosh. I mean, and, th and this barely scratches the surface, right? right? Like we had, uh, we we we, uh, we got to help produce, myself and my business partner, Mike Arthur, got to help produce a short film uh, with local filmmaker and a buddy of ours, Charlie, uh, Charlie Queen. And he brought in some of his buddies from California to like, really do this up, right? And it's like, this is nothing compared to what like Hollywood level sure. actors do. Like this is, this is peanuts, man. <laughs> right. But even this, even yeah. this, a lot goes into it. Not only like you were running around, dude, but yeah. uh, like physically and the big thing, yeah. money. This stuff is yeah. not yep. cheap. So first of all, to capture all this, you've got like 32 cameras around here. <laughs> uh, I'm just exaggerating. Uh, you've got, you know, all your microphones, different mixing equipment, uh, the soundproofing, yeah. you know, there's so much that goes into it. So I like to highlight that uh, as a fellow content creator. I appreciate uh, that. I do. Yeah. Yeah. Just to, to really appreciate it because, um, you know, I don't, I don't know that people understand because when you watch something like you and I put out, yeah. at least the hope is for my content that you watch it and it feels like you're there, you're part of the conversation, you're in the room. That's yep. like the goal for me. Yep. Um, and, but by doing that, they almost like you, you're, you're caught in that illusion and maybe you don't appreciate all the work that mm -hmm. went into it, like as a viewer. Oh yeah. So, yeah. so yeah, I wanted to take a moment to appreciate all the work that goes into it. So <laughs> both of us know, I mean, we put a lot of effort into oh, it. So it's humbling, man. Thank you. Um, we've got a lot to talk about today. I want to talk about any bar comedy first, because I, as a lot of people know, I love stand up comedy. I think cannabis and comedy are a, a perfect yep. interaction. One thing we've never talked about is the fact that you worked at a cannabis cult of, uh, with a cannabis cultivator, yeah. uh, IESO. Some people know them as Little Egypt. Uh, are there any other names? Oh, God, no, I hope not. Let's no? just stick with okay. IESO. It's for sure IESO with yeah. the sub-brands of Cultivate, Alchemy, Can of Sours, and Sweet Life by thank you. Thank you for saying the brand names because some people know the brand names, yep. but they don't know the cultivator. Yep. So we'll talk about that, but let's talk about any bar comedy. Um, you kind of described the evolution of, of how you got to where you, where you are, but like, where did this idea come from? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I've been doing stand-up comedy, uh, you know, if I go all the way back, it's fourth grade, but like the functional <laughs> version of me doing stand-up comedy, yeah. uh, comes from where you signed up for it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I mean, yeah, right. Where, where, instead of putting my name on the line for the fourth grade talent yes, show, right. uh, the, well, um, I was thinking if you were like a class clown or something, but Oh yeah, like no, no, no. I mean, I, I actually got up on stage in wow. fourth grade grade okay. and like told jokes and wow. lost the talent show and ran out of the room crying. It was a whole experience. Yeah. That's the joke there now is like, yeah, I used to run out of rooms crying.
crying when I first started comedy. Now I run into them crying. When I- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, but yeah, so so started when I was uh, started when I was 19. Uh, a whole crew of guys uh, of folks that are that are still in comedy throughout the country. Some folks that are centrally located in Chicago now. Guys like Kyle Scanlon and M Brown. Uh, one of the guys that made it big was T Murph, uh, who is uh, the the supporting. Uh, actor, whatever, whatever the the kind of the second lead character is on uh, Hulu's series Woke. He just did the Jimmy Fallon show. Like these are guys that like I started with, right? And it's really cool to see them go out and be successful in a big city kind of way. But yeah. Nathan is Nathan is uh, kind of locked in on on you know his hometown and and uh, you know the the work that needs to be done here. Um, and so what I, what I've evolved into. Uh, I kind of got got uh, got away from comedy for a little bit, got back into comedy. Uh, and when I got back into comedy uh, in in the late 2010s, my f- focus was on how do I not just produce shows, but how do I actually produce media with those shows? So like in one of our one of our earlier shows in 2017, where I actually had Kyle Scanlon come back to Southern Illinois for a performance, we tried putting together a camera crew and filming it and what have you. And it has taken years to get to a point of like understanding how to organize a crew of camera people and like doing the producer work that's required to like underpin the the actual functional recording, editing and distribution of a piece of media. You know, but you can't always put that stuff to, together, right? And it costs a lot of money just to hire people to come in and, and do this work. And you can only, you know, squeeze your videography friends for so much right. cheap labor before you, you know, really need to, mm-hmm. to, to pay them the right way, right? So this has kind of come out of the, the single operator camp of like, how do I, how do I put something together that just one person with a backpack over their shoulder can go out into a place and, and deploy a setup and then record uh, and an event and create what I call velocity of content, right? It's not just about going out and making really good stuff every now and then it's about making pretty good stuff all of the time, right? So I've spent you know, I've spent the past six months really going at this, going to shows in St. Louis, going to shows in Champaign, hanging out with your buddy Jesse Tuttle, yep. right? And and uh, doing shows around here. And I've racked up probably about 20 hours worth of content uh, so far that, you know, of that 20 hours worth of content, hopefully I can pull dozens of one minute clips out of it right. and like have that, again, velocity of content where we're making enough TikToks and enough reels and enough shorts that, you know, it, it gets you know, picked up by the algorithm and gets proper distribution. And I do enough PR and press like, <laughs> you know, the conversation we're having now and people, you know, follow at any bar, A-N-Y-B-A-R comedy all across the internet. <laughs> yes, yes. And we'll, we'll be following them. And like I said, uh, to find those handles, if it's easier on you, we'll have them in the podcast description in the show notes. So. Oh, and I, and I'll plug the show. Cause I, will this, will this show, uh, air before, july 15th i think there's a good chance all right cool so if there's if it does air before july 15th uh, my buddy sam rhodes uh comedian from uh, london is coming back to the states we're going to film another a second comedy special we did one with him in 2018 that's the one streaming in the uk we're going to do another one uh, now you can get your tickets for that at the liberty.eventbrite.com if you are somewhere in or around or want to be in murfreesboro illinois come saturday july 16th 16th, 7 p.m cool sweet (laughs) sweet so yeah look out for that folks we're always uh trying to promote uh comedy shows it's cool uh 
I noticed that some of the smoke lounges are starting to do comedy shows, which I'm like, that's what I'm saying. So it's it's funny. One of the um, one of the guy, one of the guys that I that I filmed up in Champaign several weeks ago, like came to came down here to do to do a show at a at a spot, and then like it ended up getting canceled. So he just hung out, and I was like, oh man, like he didn't get to come have the full experience. And I even talked to him beforehand. I was like, are you, are you a pot smoking comic or no? And he's like, nah. I was like, oh, well, I guess you'll not have as much fun at the, <laughs> at the, um, you know, at the lounge. But you know, when we get, when we get some in town, I'm, I'm hoping that, uh, that something like this becomes a permanent fixture that I work with at, uh, at, uh, a consumption lounge when one eventually does come to Carbondale. I've made a couple phone calls on on that. We'll just kind of see how how things pan out. But definitely want to find that intersection of cannabis and comedy and and work it out and uh, and put it on video and share it with the world. So things like what you've described, right? Feeling like you're sitting on your couch at home, but you feel like you're physically there, right? Because that's yes. the idea. That's what we want to replicate is that feeling of like thereness. Yeah, <laughs> I guess yeah. what I call it. Yeah, and I'm not even uh, I'm not even kissing your ass when I say like that video you just showed me. Yeah, that is what I was picturing. What I like, um, it's everything that I imagined. Yeah. So I am really happy that you've put yourself into this corner so that you have to release <laughs> that content because I'm I'm seriously excited yeah. for this. This is like top tier level uh, comedy media. Yeah. So I'm yeah, and really there and there's and there's a lot of room for growth right now. Like I I'm I'm by no means like. You know, there there are there are platforms out there like Don't Tell Comedy that is that does Netflix level production for digital shorts. Dry bar comedy. Again, these folks are the pinnacle of what you can produce uh, for online comedy. But as like little old Nathan and little old Southern Illinois, right? I think we're gonna be competitive enough in the landscape if we can get just picked up by the algorithm, do the right amount of press, get in front of the people that want our content, and then and just deliver on that velocity that they require to, you know, stay interested. Cause yeah. that's the one thing that you do phenomenally, man. Like you don't skip a beat. Like you, you rep the brand 24 seven. There is no, there is no, like, <laughs> there's no sitting on your hands or being idle around the Chilinoy, you know, brand. Even when you're trying to be on vacation, you're still carrying it with you everywhere you go. Yeah. Right. I don't know how many lives you do on a regular basis, but I get the notifications when they <laughs> pop up, man. So yeah, <laughs> like you're working it. Thanks, man. Thanks. And, uh, you know, I guess if there's somebody watching right now and they're really impressed with this production, I'm looking right at the camera. If you're impressed right now, um, can you give this person that I'm looking at so intently some advice on how to get a hold of you for media content and such? Uh, Brandadgroup.com, B-R-A-N-D-A-D group, G-R-O-U-P.com. There is a little form that you can just type in services and whatever um, and say, you know, this is what I'm interested in. Uh, or you can find me uh, through WTF Carbondale across the internet as well. You can find me on LinkedIn, Nathan Colombo. I'm a pretty easy find there. You know, if you see this and you like it, or you can just hit up Cole and he'll give you my number. That's yeah. manageable. Yeah, <laughs> I, can, I, can, I can facilitate that connection. Um, but so. no, and, and I do, you know, we we do all sorts of stuff, right? We're, we're varied in in what we can produce with, uh, with these cameras. Uh, I'm thinking about things like, uh, you know, memorial services are a focus right. of ours because, you know, we, we 
we understand that people can't make it in for these important moments that they want captured and they want to feel like they are or were there. And they want to be able to revisit these memories in a way that makes them feel like they're in that seat remembering their loved ones. So memorials, uh, you know, I'm trying to figure out the wedding thing, if this is workable for a wedding, but weddings are, weddings are tough, no matter what kind of media you produce around a wedding. Yeah. Um, you know, there's, there's the, the music and, and, comedy side of things there is kind of the the corporate podcast setup to where you know again if you're a, if you're a business and you need this type of content to to push yourself out there that it's difficult to do this and do it in a way where it's cost effective and you get the critical mass of content that you need for it to be valuable for you, right? Because you can pay a videographer 1,500, two grand to come in and put together a nice 30 second, two minute reel, whatever it is, but that doesn't capture the same thing as, you know, five half an hour conversations filmed back to back to back in the same amount of time that it takes to produce that 30 second commercial and then releasing that Right. you know, batch of content over time to develop and maintain a certain level of relevancy. Yeah. So, yeah. And this will be fun because this is where it gets us into the conversation about what I do professionally and how we got connected in the first place in the cannabis industry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Tell, you know, remind me, I don't, I don't know. I, I know you reached out to me because of like in the function of WTF Carbondale. Yeah. But I also, in the process, I can't remember how I found out that I know you told me, but oh, yeah. I can't remember like when in the relationship it came out. Uh, it, it would, it would have been, it would have been early on because so the, the way that I approach folks like yourself, like Jason uh, with Illinois news joint uh, and other uh, kind of uh, you know, at the time what, 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 you know, just a year and a half, two years ago could have been considered niche is now very mainstream in the cannabis industry, right? Like you guys have gone from the upstarts to the power players. It's wild that growth in that short amount of time. Um, but I, um, so I reached out in the initial capacity as the marketing manager for ISO Holdings, which is the cultivation center with the license for Illinois State District uh, uh, 13 for the Illinois State Police. So they've got a facility out by the um, out by the airport in what is called a, kind of the Jackson Growth Alliance area. It's a it's a large industrial plot of land that's set out there for development. Uh, they've got the the Southern Illinois Airport and the Automotive School and the um, um, uh, the flight school for SIU. They've also got the National Guard out there, uh, and then they've got our facility. <laughs> which is a wild like yeah. mesh of activity all right. like in in one little footprint in a in the middle of a cornfield mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> um so yeah so that's how i would have initially uh reached out and and connected uh, and it was just a bummer because at the time uh my boss didn't want like i he said hey you can go and and talk uh you know about your own stuff and do whatever but don't talk about aiso so yeah and i didn't even realize that it was to the point that you I'm, you I, can correct me if I'm yeah, wrong. Yeah, no, 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 you're right. You're absolutely right in what you're getting ready to say. <laughs> you couldn't even mention. Couldn't even mention. Because I, I was just trying, I yeah. wasn't going to press on it. Yep. I was just, I thought it, w it would, at the time, you were a very early guest, and I was looking for any semblance of credibility. Yeah. And so the fact that you were in the cannabis industry, I had asked you, if you go back and listen, yep. you might notice, yep. 
I was like, so what What else do you do? And you were just like... <laughs> and uh, I skated right around it. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, you, I can tell somebody told you not to talk about yeah. this. Yeah. So, you know, it was it was a bummer. But now I, I have since left uh, left that job. Uh, you know, it was a, it was a group of people that I absolutely loved working with. Right. But, but when you, when you are worth more than what somebody may be wanting to assign to you, you got to make your own decisions about, you know, where you're going to place your own personal value at. So I, I, you know, unfortunately my, my boss, uh, my, my immediate boss, my immediate supervisor, Freddie Dickerson left. Uh, and then shortly after that, probably a couple months, I was, I was out the door, uh, as well, which here comes, here comes the plug for Freddie because Freddie is now at, Oh wait, there you go. <laughs> seed talent, seed talent. There we go. <laughs> there we go. Uh, so yeah, so like it's, he's like, Freddie's the reason why I was able to get into the cannabis industry. Cause he hired me, right? Like, like we had our interview and he was like, you're, you're my guy. And then like he shepherded me through everything about it. Freddie's been in the cannabis industry, like since damn near its inception, he may have worked opening day at what was then Harbury, but is now consumed in Marion. Like very early on in the cannabis industry. So he's worked through that. He's worked on the cultivation side. So retailing and cultivation. Now he's in kind of the service industry uh, to uh, all, all the different cannabis players. And it's just like, Freddie is the man. Like if you want to know somebody in the cannabis industry, especially in Illinois, like you need to know Freddie, because Freddie will link you up. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. I'll have to link up with Freddie. Um, so yeah, so so Freddie Freddie got me in the door, um, you know, and it's it was just it was a frustrating. Um, it doesn't matter. That water's gonna blend in with all the sweat on my shirt anyway, which is the trick, right? If you um if you ever if you're a sweaty person like me, the the trick to all of this is to simply sweat to the point where it changes the color of your entire shirt. So nobody thinks that you were sweating your face off before the yeah. podcast. Anyway. And when you spill, <laughs> nobody notices. It's just like it's just your shirt blends blends right in. But like we, you know, the the I understand that there are constraints in a new market like this that is that is uh, you know based in something that is still federally considered a controlled substance. But uh, you know, I was just always you know just didn't didn't get a chance to execute. Uh, with my set of skills and with my knowledge about marketing and advertising tools, uh, like I like I really like I really wanted to. Like it was yeah. a bummer, uh, you know. Things like IL trees and like the the relationships that could have been built that weren't because I didn't have the ability, uh, you know, because I was asked not to to go to not go out and engage with folks in these spaces. Right. I did a little bit behind the scenes, like when things were like really egregious, like I would go out and like message somebody on Reddit. I maybe did it three or four times. was like, Hey, please don't repost screenshots of this because I'll lose my job if you do, but can I handle your customer service issue for you? Yeah. Right. Um, I remember one, one lady, I uh, had like complained on Reddit and emailed us kind of simultaneously. Uh, and this was after we had fixed a broken website and made it to where we could actually receive emails and provide adequate customer service. And uh, in in that, uh, you know, in my response to her, to the email, I was like, thank you for your feedback. Yeah. As per the feedback that you've received in the comments on your Reddit thread. <laughs> <laughs> I just referenced what everybody else had been saying already, 
right? Because that's the cool part about kind of community sourced information is that you're likely to get the right information because of the number of people that are seeking credibility in the conversation are going to deliver you to an accurate and factual answer. Yeah. Right. So like, that's, what's cool about the conversations that you work to facilitate in your online areas that you get to moderate. So, and I mean, it really do people, people watch your stuff on the inside of industry and people make real decisions around the way that they purchase and sell cannabis because of the feedback that uh, people provide through the platform that you give to everyone in the great state of Chilinoy. Like that's the real deal, man. Like I've had those conversations at all different levels with all kinds of people across all different companies and everybody keeps their eyes on what you've created. So like, thanks for putting me in front of people again. I appreciate that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I, you know, um, it's so I don't talk about aisle trees a lot. It's not something that I've, that I actually did create. Oh, my bad. Um, Sorry. No, 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 no. It's, I mean, I think if you spoke to the creator, uh, looking at you right now if you're watching it i think <laughs> you would agree that that i kind of am instrumental in a lot of his a lot of its success but that's you know like what i they, they what are, i'm really saying okay. there yeah there are different people involved and um they are both busy people and so i would say that yeah i i i think if i could look if there's probably like a log where you could look at everything i've done compared mm-hmm. to others and I'm willing to put my name on the fact that I've probably done more like actions uh-huh. than the others. Yeah. Yeah. Now, as far as like the whole thing goes, this is just interesting cause I've never really talked about it. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, it's tough. Honestly, we were, we just hit 25,000 subscribers and it's weird to think that that's like the small of some towns here in Illinois. And it, this is for the Reddit, not for our, yeah podcast i try not to look at our podcast numbers but the reddit one is like right there and so we just hit twenty five thousand the other day i saw somebody posted i I didn't even realize that somebody else posted and um it's just tough uh but i guess what i will say is that you know it's it's basically a forum hosted by reddit it's gonna be going uh public soon so wouldn't be surprised if if IL trees disappears. Um, but, uh, you know, I am a glorified internet janitor. <laughs> Cleaning up messes. And that, <laughs> that's just it. And I don't get paid. There was yeah. just a, there was just a article on, I think the technology subreddit, which how, how accurate this article yeah. was, I don't know, but they said they like put a number on how much work moderators do on yeah. Reddit and they're unpaid We're yeah. we are volunteers yep. and they basically have given us the infrastructure. Everybody like a lot of people like Reddit. So we've got our little space on Reddit, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, we've even had in the latest months, uh, Reddit admins uh, intervene. And so I wouldn't be surprised if IL trees becomes a thing of the past. Oh, that's, uh, just that's a heartbreaker. Yeah, there, there's just, uh, with the way that the cannabis industry is, I could see a big power player saying, like, like talking to somebody at Reddit and saying like, hey, you know, you should take this subreddit down. Yeah. It does more harm than good for, uh, for yeah, them. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah, right, yeah, right. yeah, because if they're a publicly traded company and their liabilities and so on and so forth. Yeah, 
No. Yeah, and I will say that there's bit like it's it's a it's a tough little gig uh, that that I didn't really know what I was getting myself into. Like, that people will post things where they will mention names, and I'm sorry, but it's a Reddit policy. You can't even mention your own name. Yeah, in a post, and so that's is that really Reddit policy? I had no idea. Yeah, yeah. Somebody huh. posted a picture of their own receipt, and they got banned from Reddit. And then they made this huge post on the subreddit. It was like the top page. They're like fuck the mods. Why are you banning me? And it's like, I didn't ban you. Yeah. I don't have the ability to ban you from Reddit. <laughs> I have the ability to ban you from our subreddit. And we try not to do that very yeah. often. Like we try to just institute a temporary bans. Say, Hey, yeah. could be an asshole or whatever you're doing. Yeah. And then, you know, let them go. But, but yeah, Reddit saw that somebody had put, cause there was a feud about maybe they were shorted or something. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, just the, the how quickly it got taken down and everything else. I really feel like it, it, that was that was the first time where, you know, Reddit admins got involved. It got a little bit bigger than the community, yeah. and um, it just felt like there was in, some industry at play. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when I when I found out that the person had their name in it, I was like, oh, okay, maybe maybe this was a mistake. Yeah, because like if you if you get something reported to you as a Reddit admin without mm-hmm. context that says somebody's doxing, mm-hmm. and you look at the picture that they posted, mm-hmm. and sure enough, there's a full name. Who are you to say that that's their name? Yeah, that's somebody else's name. Like it's an o- anonymous yeah. account. It's so a it's, name. Burn it. It's a name. Burn <laughs> it. So, yeah, so exactly. So I don't know how I got off on this. This ta- oh, you you mentioned that people are watching it. I yeah. think that's crazy. I have seen. And heard of people at dispensers. Like you'll look at a bud tender and yeah. they'll be on IL trees. Yeah, it's no, it's crazy. it's it's more than that. I mean, it is it is purchasing decisions throughout the industry are are made based off of brand reputations that are won and lost on that subreddit. Yeah, and you know what? I the thing I will give the, the like if I had to give the subreddit credit, mm-hmm. it would be that the Illinois cannabis industry is so. F- fucked up that <laughs> i had to r- remind myself this is my podcast i can say whatever i want that's goddamn um, right <laughs> yeah. uh, it's so messed up that you can't even see the product that you purchase and yeah. so this this subreddit has provided people the ability not it doesn't it's not even close to mm-hmm. an experience like you'd have in colorado where yep. you can Smell, smell it, it feel it but yeah, yeah. hey at least you can see it and you can you can hear somebody else's thoughts like this is good stuff yep. and it's like okay then it feels like less of a leap when you go and buy that freaking 80 dollar eighth well and here's <laughs> you know? here's what's crazy on on the back end of this right is the amount of effort that goes into replicating some sort of again credibility with the product because we understand those limitations right so we you know in my time at IESO, we rolled out full rebrands on stuff. Again, Freddie was great at leading the charge on this stuff. Uh, you know, it, it's so funny. He would do stuff and I would think, Freddie, you're crazy. That shit's never going to work. It's not going to be this. And it would just be the bomb. Like our Terp shirts. If anybody out there has like the the ISO, this is my Terp shirt. If you got one at, um, at High Harbor uh, for their event last year that we did, or if you've just been given one at a dispensary, like, you know, that was Freddie's idea. He, he made that happen. Um, you know, the way that we that we arranged our labels with uh, just little notes of and trying to describe things in very simple terms that would that would, you know, be accurate and draw people to the product. Um, the photography that that 
uh, we moved to. I finally got, you know, after probably like six or eight months in, got us to break down and, and buy a, a cheapo Sony A6400 um, and like a little backdrop and, and a table to do some some photography on. I'm not a photographer by any means. I'm not any one particular creative, uh, skillful person in, in that sense, but I was able to at least like take real bud from real jars that were really going to mm-hmm. consumers and take pictures of those and give an accurate representation in the images that we put out there of the product that was going out, right? Whether that that product was fire or flop, it always was represented accurately in the images that we produced, right? It wasn't about how do you church it up? How do you make it look, you know, as, as good as possible? It's the same concept that I've had across uh, client work, the, the, you know, decade plus that I've been doing this marketing thing, right? It is represent what the consumer is going to experience at the point of consumption or don't represent anything at all. Yeah. Right. It's, it's, it's why Domino's does real pictures of real pizzas from real customers as their ads on Facebook now, because that builds a proper expectation and hell yes, I'm going to go spend $8 on that pizza. If it looks like that, that's great. Let's go. <laughs> also, am I wrong in thinking that Domino's had a, like, I look, I don't like Domino's pizza. Tried it. Just okay. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, just okay. But they had a pretty successful ad campaign by saying, Hey, our pizza sucks. Yeah. What would make it better? Yeah. Like, am I wrong? Is yeah. That the yeah. They, they, they totally were. They were like, we understand everybody hates our pizza. They say it's bland. They mm-hmm. say it's this, they say it's that. Um, what do we do about it? And so what they, what Domino's ended up doing was like creating their, their garlic butter for their crust, retooling how they were, how they were baking so that the crust on bottom wasn't like soggy and, and problematic. And you know, I don't know if they changed their cheese as well, but like they they made like several tweaks and like made a whole campaign out of we've got garbage pizza, help us make our pizza less garbage. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so sorry, I, I had to bring that up. Uh, no, I felt like great. you were about to finish a point, possibly. Ah, uh, maybe. Who knows? Well, <laughs> well, here I can I can steer us back. So right, steer, steer us back. I want to start with with the positive and I don't want to necessarily dwell on the negative, yeah. but I think it is important yeah. an important part of the conversation, but let's start out with the positive. Um, first of all, can I, before we get to the positives, yeah. can I ask is ISO actually sun grown cannabis? Yeah. So, uh, so ISO, we, we, it is a, it is a greenhouse grown flower for the most part. There are a handful of indoor grow rooms. Um, but there's that, there's like, I don't know all the technical stuff, so I'm not going to talk too sure. far out of bounds on that. Uh, you know, I will I will say what what I feel comfortable saying because I'm like, oh, I can represent it factually this way. Like I yeah. know we have a cluster of indoor grow rooms, um, but most of what we have is grown in a greenhouse. Like I would say, 80% or more of the square footage for grow in that facility is greenhouse. Now it's not 100% sun grown; it is supplemented sure. with lights, but it is absolutely greenhouse grown. That's where the issues with delivery to market have been for us, right? Because maintaining a greenhouse that was really built for ornamental, like growing, right? Uh, transitioning that to consumable products and hoping that at everything's a gonna, level. yeah at a commercial level and hoping that things are going to test out correctly, right? Has has been an inhibitor for the business. Now over the past. Uh, six months, a year, like as, as you've seen 
the the positive reaction to uh, better quality cannabis coming out of the facility in the past several months. Um, that's because people like just put in the effort to like do more figuring out around what is it going to take to make this greenhouse work mm -hmm. the right way, right? So that was any, just about any issue that has ever been out there with IESO product is directly related to that one factor. If IESO was strictly an indoor grow room facility, like all of, or most of uh, the other cultivators in Southern Illinois, or sorry, in Illinois uh, proper, that it there just wouldn't have been cannabis flower issues like there were with having the greenhouse. Yeah. Um, so that, that was always interesting to me, right? Like I always, there were, it was always the conversation of like, what, what would this business be if we had just built indoor grow rooms and not a, and not a greenhouse grow, right? And there, there was always kind of like that, that fantasy of, oh my gosh, what, what if, what if we just bulldoze down all of the, all of the greenhouse and rebuilt yeah. everything as grow rooms? How much easier would everybody's lives be? How much less troubleshooting and tweaking and managing of fighting the elements would we, would we do if it was all in more controlled environments like the indoor grow functions are? Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, especially right now in Southern Carbondale, like it's just it's humid, it's gross, it's not ideal <laughs> like conditions for growing anything. Yeah, I would imagine, but I'm not the expert in any of this growing stuff. I'm just the yeah. guy who hucks and chucks for a living. Yeah, yeah, no, I imagine <laughs> they gotta cool it down and, and get stuff like that. But, but yeah, anyways, I wanted to ask that just because yeah. uh, people see that on the label, and I actually like that about them. I have to say that I like that about them. You know, one of the things that that I think is starting to become a convert, like a talking point. It's mm -hmm. part of the conversation now is uh, the idea that growing indoors is great when you when you look at keeping uh, variables consistent and the quality you can produce. But it's horrible for the environment. Mm -hmm. And the only reason it's weird to think about it this way, but the only reason besides the consistency and variables, which yeah. you know are definitely a, a you know a good thing to have on your side. Um, the only reason we're growing inside is because of the criminalization of cannabis. We mm -hmm. had to hide it. Yeah. You know, so, uh, I like that. I actually like that about IESO that, that they do the sun cultivated cannabis because there's, uh, companies got to give a shout out. I was just in Colorado, uh, the oh, honeybee yeah. collective, they're yeah. sustainably based cannabis. They, they source, you know, sun grown cannabis and, and it's all on the notion that, you know, indoor grows are it's pretty bad for the environment, especially when you're looking at, you know, these, these license holders, the, mm -hmm. the original license holders, I call them the super license holders here in Illinois. Yes. <laughs> this, the 17 companies that have the 21 licenses. Yeah. I think that's the number. Um, they have, you know, 250,000 square feet yeah. of, of space that you have to keep cool, dry, humid, depending yeah. on what growth you're in. And that's, that's just, so anyways, I had to give some, Kudos well, and I, and I mean, I mean, that's right. I mean, the 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 power bill for for that place would probably be quadruple or more if it was not a greenhouse grow. Like I remember because yeah. working up in admin, right, just hear hear conversation over and stuff like that. And, and it's like, yeah, like just talking about the projections of what power usage would be if it was an indoor grow versus uh, a greenhouse grow it was just yeah. mind-boggling but then it's probably gets complicated because you got to then factor in well okay but if we throw down and have all of that consistency yeah what would we get out of the product oh, yeah yep yep and and, <laughs> right. and one of the things so they 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 so our 
I, you know, I, and again, I'm, I'm working off of, I, I was, I, my last day physically in the building was somewhere in late May. Um, so I don't know who all is where doing what, but like our, our, uh, head grower, uh, is actually a local guy, Drew and Drew, like, you know, tweaked it and worked with it and like worked with his, you know, team, you know, dozens of cultivation techs to like figure out, okay, well, what, what, what are we doing wrong in this greenhouse space? And what do we need to be doing right to like offset these, these issues that we have, uh, you know, whether it's invasive stuff or issues with humidity or whatever else. And, you know, they figured out that a little bit more aggressive skirting of the plants um, and just a couple things about the way that, that they laid out the plants really changed uh, the growing dynamic of, of, the, of the product and then what that end product would then turn out to be, right? Mm-hmm. So, so we went from having, uh, you know, plants that, that, were, that were bunched together and, and bushed up uh, kind of next to each other to plants that were a little bit more spread out that maybe the yield per plant wasn't as high, but the yield of usable product on the other end was greatly increased because you didn't have any additional issues that you would otherwise have if plants were too close together and things were just too moist and there wasn't yeah. enough airflow and so on and so forth. Um, you know, so, so the grow, the grow really like again, and people, people acknowledge this with their reception to the product out of the market that like, yeah, the grow changed and for the better. And it just took time to scale up and get there and figure out, you know, shucks, I've been doing this business since 2014, I don't have anything figured out yet, right? For a multi-million dollar cannabis cultivation facility in a place where cannabis hasn't really been grown on this scale in this way before, taking four or five years to figure it out is actually not too bad. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like now that now that they figured out, the trick is sticking with it and making sure you keep the people in place, keep the processes consistent, and then just keep interest from the market. Uh, you know, in the product beyond just an, ooh, they're good now. Are they going to stay good type deal? Like, yeah, hopefully we're going to stay good. Yeah. Because like I take serious, I took a lot of pride in working for this company because every box that left that building had Carbondale stamped on it, right? So like, it's not just about that product going out there and the representation of, of, the, of the company itself, but a representation of the people that actually work at the company, the representation of the people that are like my neighbors and friends and, and people that I've known for, for quite some time in all different aspects or people that I've never known before, but they're still people that are here in Southern Illinois. And so like, I, I cared about that component and I'm really happy that like, by the time I left that we were in that position as a company, that the product was right, that the, that the brand notoriety was right. And really the thing that needed to be right sized at the time that I left was our velocity of sales into the market because we had all the product we were making, but trying to get that product to market and make sure that people understood, Hey, we can fulfill bigger orders. We have better brand recognition. You just need to make sure that you're putting this in front of your consumers and it will sell through and we will cycle through with you. Um, you know, that's just, that's the landing that you got to stick as the business develops, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, we, we rolled out, we rolled out at some point in time and I hope it's still the case. And I hope it stays the case. Freddie would disagree with me because he worked really hard to get the price of eights up as the sales guy out to our dispensary partners. Um, but now that we've got a a mass of, of material, they brought the price on, on an eighth down to a point where it was viable that you could go into a dispensary and buy a $40 eighth of ISO flour that was Pretty decent flour, especially for 40 bucks in this Illinois, uh, you know, retail market. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what I remember about ISO when I 
went to the store as a medical cannabis patient before adult use was that they had oftentimes some of the cheaper prices uh, for product. So those, those were a lot of positive things I want to dwell on for just a moment. Yeah. Just kind of, uh, I have heard, like you mentioned, I think just a little bit ago, mm-hmm. I have heard that uh, the product has been pretty good lately. So yeah. there's another positive hand, you know, credit where credit is due. Um, any other, any other positives you want to discuss? Like was the work environment? I mean, I know that we've already discussed a little bit about yeah. the work environment. We'll get back to the, maybe some of the negatives or the drawbacks, but well, the, so the, so the, so cohesion, right. So, so it took some time to get there, right. And people getting promoted and getting in the right places, but it's, it's really a millennial run workplace, right? Our ownership is, is older, but the people that are in there day to day are our age, right? The, the, uh, you know, the communication and the, and the, the interaction between departments was phenomenal, right? So what was nice about IESO specifically was everything was in the building. Aside from a handful of folks that sold throughout the state, everybody was in that building and working together. So you could, you know, lab was connected to grow. Grow was connected to packaging. Packaging was connected to kitchen. Kitchen was connected to admin. And everybody was connected back and forth to one another. And so, like, if there were issues happening with with Grow and the lab needed to compensate in some way for that, they weren't just caught off guard with something happening. And the guy who runs the lab, John Davey, is a freaking wizard, right? Like, there there are... The majority of that lab staff are people that are scientists or people that are scientific in nature, right? It's not just people scooping dabs and throwing them into containers and saying, ah, that's our lab, whatever. Like these are people that really like take pride and like have passion for like the chemistry that they do to create distillate and concentrates and and the whole gamut of things, right? One thing that sticks out in my mind is people being like really anti CRC, right? And having John Davey, our, our lab um, director, really like break down with me, like how we use CRC in the building and like down to like 0.1 micron or whatever it was, mm-hmm. that may not be an accurate number, but like him explained to me like why there's not any issue with our CRC because we filter down to X microns and how right. that works and why that's different than what some schmuck who's, you know, doing this stuff in yeah. his basement may be doing differently that right. has given this a bad name over time. When you're operating at scale and you're looking to produce a consistent product with a consistent flavor, a consistent color, uh, you know, a consistent presentation, right? Some of these things are necessary to make that happen. And so like he equipped me with, just the knowledge to be able to have this conversation with people, knowing that, you know, I'm not going to appease everybody when I go out there and say, oh yeah, no, you really don't. You need to give a second thought to who is doing the CRC and the science behind it when they do that. Right. Right. Um, And I just, I never had a bunch of those conversations, maybe a handful here and there, but you know, it was just, it was reassuring to know as the guys, you know, helping to sell the product that there was, you know, it wasn't just about, oh, well, we got to clean up the weed. We got to, let's run a CR, you know, let's run a color remediation column and, and whatever. No, it was about like really tuning in the lab to get the best of the best of the best product that they could. Uh, and they keep doing it. Yeah. Like, I mean, ah, yeah, they're the, the, the concentrates coming out of there. The alchemy line is still top notch. The only thing that I, that I was never like, that I wasn't really blown away by product wise that, that we created were our, were our sour gummies, but you know, they're low dose stuff and 
maybe I'm a higher dose kind of guy. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm, edibles are one of those things. It's just like, it's a, I, I love saying this because it, it makes no sense, especially in this context. Yeah. It's a Christmas mystery. <laughs> how, how, how do edibles even work? It's, it's a Christmas mystery, folks. When are we going to solve it? So, um, okay. Well, okay. So we've talked about a lot of positives. Um, I feel like I could spearhead the negative maybe some of the negatives with, with what I felt. Yeah. Feel it. Um, Let it go. I felt like, and I feel this with, with a lot of the brands, yeah. uh, they don't want to talk yeah. because they're afraid yep. they're going to like put their foot in their mouth. Yep. And I don't know. I don't feel like I'm that gotcha journalist. Yeah. 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 Um, but they are, I feel like they are operating out of that. You mindset. had, you had an interview, God, it may be a year ago now with a, with a woman from Cresco that was like an 18 minute interview and it was the driest direct, most like yep. corporatized interview like that you could have possibly given, but you were trying to build that credibility and you didn't want to scare guests off. So like yeah. having somebody from Cresco on and like towing the line with them to, to like be comfortable with them or to let them at least be somewhat comfortable in their position talking to you, like you made the right decision. Yeah, and kudos to them because, you know, people have referenced that conversation. They're like, you effectively shilled for Cresco. And I completely disagree yeah. because I gave them the space yeah. to say, I gave her the space, Kat, who's an awesome person, um, the space to say what she wanted to say. Now, I say what she wanted to say. I'm not going to, like, beat around the bush. And, and it's not like that was, you could tell it was very direct. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure somebody else coached is yeah, what absolutely, I'm saying. Absolutely. But here's the thing. It's not like before or after that podcast or during this podcast that I don't continue to say fuck Cresco or any, <laughs> other, any other, I don't care. I don't have loyalty yeah. to these companies. Yeah. So like, um, yeah, you know, it's crazy. I don't think I've ever mentioned this. I hold stock in some of these companies, but I continue to talk about all the things yeah. that they do. I don't care. Like it, it would be unfortunate if it's first of all, it's not like I have a lot of money in stocks. Yeah. It's not like I've got this like portfolio. I I'm rolling dice on seven dollars and fifty cents worth of that Cresco good good. <laughs> no, seriously, it's literally just a, probably like maybe at most two hundred dollars in just mm -hmm. random cannabis stocks. But Cresco's included. But that doesn't stop me from like talking about some of the things that yeah. they do. Well, you want accountability from industry and that's not too much to ask. It's especially not too much to ask if you're somebody that's working inside the industry. It's not too much to ask if you're somebody that's on the periphery of industry, right? It's not something that's crazy to ask if you are somebody that is the end consumer for the product of industry, yeah. right? This is the wild freaking West still. Like it doesn't matter how many regulations go into play over the next 10 to 15 years. The reality is the, the, the development of the cannabis industry in the United States is the wild west and it will be the wild west until major happenings occur that unify standards and then push those standards out to the entire country and everybody's on the same page operating from the same playbook because we know this is the way that you create safe quality cannabis at, you know, uh, a reasonable return for everybody from the consumer making the purchase to the employees, to the people who have shoveled their money into the industry to, you know, to make it go because they're, you know, venture capitalist, vulture yeah. capitalist, vulture capitalist. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> I really think though, this, this Illinois cannabis community is a gold mine waiting to be engaged with, with regard to cannabis, the cannabis community or the cannabis companies. Yeah. 
I feel like like as soon as you see a price break to like maybe a thirty dollar eighth or yeah. something that's more in line with the rest, like the industry at large, mm-hmm. like in Colorado or Oklahoma, I think you'll see customers flood to that cultivator. And if somebody would just take the leap, but I realize there's probably much more to that. It's not like, well, we're just going to barnstorm the companies with $30 rates. Cause then if you get bought yeah. out, then you're out of stock and well, and it's, and it's be, beyond, much more be, beyond that, right. It's, it's always about those numbers rolling up to shareholders yes. and then, and then those shareholders, True. whether it's, you know, you know, companies like, like ours that are held by several people or companies like a Cresco that are, you know, public, are they publicly traded on the yeah, Canadian no. stock exchange? And absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, or it's companies like that to where, you know, they're, they're delivering on the traditional Milton Friedman care about your stockholders uh-huh. and your stockholders alone. Um, uh, God bless, uh, Robert D. Philippus for episode 106 of the WTF Carbondale podcast, which you can find on a number of streaming platforms. Yeah, well, YouTube and Facebook, uh, as well as anywhere where you get your podcasts right now, because he's the one that really, as, as somebody who was a, a guest on my podcast here recently, somebody who's been in business for you know the better part of uh, 55, 60 years and explaining to me you know, how we got to this point in America where it's not about the handshake between the employee and the business anymore, but about the handshake between the dollar and the investor. Yeah. Right. And so that was really just, you know, an, an eye opener for me as somebody who's grown up in strict, you know, in a strictly kind of vulture capital world. Right. We, we don't know anything about what yeah. it means to like, you know, have the car hearts of the world be the ones that that dictated how industry engaged with its workers and its consumers. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Well, and you just put it, yeah, you put it perfectly because, uh, you know, I was, I was thinking about this recently. And so in the spirit of that comment that I just made, I'm like, well, if you just invest in the community, you know, you'll, you'll see your returns, but they, they're not, like you say, they don't, care about a positive reaction yeah. from the com- like the consumer no, it's, it's money, they want money, a positive money, money, money. reaction from the people that are investing yep. in them so that they invest more yep yep um then this gets me to, to something that i'm that i'm really excited about so I, I i play in the world of politics and and what have you and and i hope that this becomes something that's known statewide uh in in the coming weeks when everything's finalized but there there is a there's a gentleman uh van eichner who is running for the the 118th uh, state house district here in here in Southern Illinois. Uh, Van is a black man who was convicted uh, of trafficking marijuana, cannabis, and I can't believe I just said marijuana on the podcast. <laughs> Shame on me, but that's what it says on the charge. Yeah, I know it's bad me. <laughs> but but Van but Van is you know as as we talk about it, right, a pioneer in the in the industry, a mm-hmm. guy who is like the exact person that you would think of when you think social equity an entrepreneurial spirited person who was decades ahead of his time when the thing that he was ahead of his time with was illegal. Yeah. Right. And not to say that it were fully legal in this day and age, knowing, knowing your, your understanding and your interpretation of things that you, that you share with your audience. Like, Hey, we're, we're regulated, but we're not legal. Yeah. <laughs> Not only that, but then there's of course the whole federal illegality. So oh it quite simply is yep. still illegal. <laughs> yep. So, so a guy, so a guy who's a pioneer, uh, you know, in this industry is, as we kind of jokingly, jokingly say, but seriously in that, right. A, a guy who's been through it, who like 
without the work of him and thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of people probably like himself, uh, who, who were the folks that built this industry, mm-hmm. right? And now having an opportunity for somebody like him to, to you know, pursue this election, uh, who has a chance at winning it, if he can get support and like understanding that like he's the one like progressive, like accessible guy in Southern Illinois that's running for a seat here that like can get into the state house and speak to things like social equity from a real earned perspective. Right. Right. And, and I don't know how we got off on, on this point, what, what the question was that brought us here, but it was just, I, you know, I was excited to, to bring him up in this conversation and be like, yeah, we've got a chance to send somebody to Springfield who like can dig deep on cannabis laws in this state yeah. and like identify, Hey, here's, here's what I think will help, uh, to make, uh, you know, the, the cannabis program work better for everyone at all levels, uh, in this state. So it's, it's just, it's just neat. It's, yeah. it's neat that these, that, that folks like Van exist and are willing to put themselves out there, uh, in order to pursue better government across the board. Yeah. You know, on things that for most voters is going to be real niche, right? Like we're not going to run out there and, and, you know, run around with, with, uh, you know, cannabis equity front and center in the campaign. Cause sure. there's a lot of issues that, sure. that people want to hear about in Southern Illinois, but guess what? There's a lot of people around here that will care about this, that will have a lived experience similar to Vans and that he will be able to empathize with and say, you know, what do we really need to do about this in Springfield so that we deliver, you know, equity access and participation in this economy to the people who made this happen to begin with. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you know, I'd love to, if, if, uh, I, I oh, yeah, dude, we'll, we'll get like, him on the phone. We'll get him on the podcast. I feel totally. bad Cause you freaking set up all this shit for me. You booked the, basically the guests that I just talked to. And now here you are helping me book another guest. I feel like I'm putting you to work. I feel like I owe you money or something. No, no, no. Well, well, here's, here's, here's what we'll get on to next. Right. While we're, while we're talking about guests, cause this is a good, this is a good breakthrough. I'm going to switch the camera for me on this one. Sure. I've done a real bad job of switching to my own camera, but I'm doing a good job of staying to hey. your camera on this <laughs> one. Um, but there, you know, it's not just uh, Buck Hales, who is the director for the Cannabis Science Institute here at SIU, that are people worth talking to and about uh, in cannabis in Southern Illinois. I'm so glad that you used your time in Carbondale before we got together to talk with Buck. Like, it's phenomenal. Yeah. Um, it's just, he's he's a brilliant dude and he's so approachable mm-hmm. and he's just salt of the earth people. But like Buck is just the tip of the iceberg. More plugs for WTF Carbondale. Episode seven of the WTF Carbondale podcast is my friend Kyle Baker, who owns a company uh, called EcoBuds that is in the process of, of uh, transitioning to a newer, even bigger company um, that uh, I don't know if they've gone through their full rebrand, so I won't even <laughs> go, sure, go that sure. deep. But he does, he does, uh, you know, his, his stuff is all about clean cannabis and clean cannabis at scale. And I can't even get into the specifics of it because there's too much science for me to understand, but like the guy knows his shit and he's creating, you know, what is going to be a multi-million dollar company out of his backyard here, just five miles down the road from where we're at now. We've got my buddy Osama who, so again, Kyle episode seven, I'm pretty sure Kyle Baker of the WTF Carbondale podcast. Then there's episode 98 maybe Osama Badad who is uh, a new buddy of mine uh 
we became friends as, as I've moved into the incubator here. And he is in uh, the business of sequencing cannabis genomes and like creating like, you know, tens of thousands of mutations of a cannabis plant in order to be able to pick out a particular trait that they want that has naturally mutated, not a genetic alteration, but like a, you know, as if it would have occurred in nature over the course of a thousand years or something like that. And that's happening downstairs in this building where we're filming this podcast. I mean, this is everywhere, man. The, the, the possibility of seeing farmland transition from, you know, your traditional corn and soybeans uh, to, to, you know, hemp crops for anything from soil remediation right. to, uh, you know, the, the actual usability of, of hemp in any number of ways. It's a, it's a complex, uh, you know, system of, of businesses that have to be built to be able to deliver on the full promise of grow it here, process it here, you know, send it out as a finalized product from here. But if people like Osama and Kyle and Buck and all of these folks in Southern Illinois that are plugged into the cannabis industry in some way, shape or form, uh, continue to just keep working at it in 10 years, we may have like a real deal, like new cannabis economy in Southern Illinois and not just around the concept. Oh, I'm switching back from forth from too many different things. Uh, and not just in the concept of, Oh, well, we've got some dispensaries. We've got some cultivation facilities, et cetera. But like really the, the core, like what can cannabis. And I, when I say cannabis, I mean cannabis in the sense that we think of consumable, smokable cannabis with THC and CBD, as well as cannabis as, as we think of in hemp terms with, you know, fibers and plastics and all sorts of stuff. Like this should and could be ground zero for, you know, uh, the industry, but saving the world with this beautiful plant. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's crazy, and I hope that we well. I think that'll be a good topic uh, to return to, like some of the things that I think we'll look back on yeah. and be like, "Why did we do it that way?" And maybe like it, I think it'll be a positive note to to talk about because I hope that we'll progress with our understanding and nice. change the way that we do things and um, and everything else. But but I wanted to make sure uh, that if there was anything, so I talked about the idea of it. Just felt like. Aiso specifically you mm-hmm. uh, weren't able to talk to me. I've gotten that impression to others. So we've, we've squared away that topic. Mm-hmm. Was there anything else negative about the experience that you well, feel comfortable well, you, speaking you had, about? You had, you had talked about, right. That cannabis companies seem afraid to interact with their end consumer. Yeah. Right. And so that was, that was the biggest thing that I butted my head up against in my entire position there. Again, my boss, Freddie, let me, run wild. Uh, even though, you know, our, our executive boss was like, don't, don't respond to customer inquiries. Don't do this. Don't do that. Push them off onto the dispensary because it's liability. If we talk to them, it's like, I've read the law over and over and over again. And there's nothing that, yeah. you know, makes us liable with the, you know, with the modern acts right now, the pilot program. Yeah. The, 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 um, the, the, use your brain, Nathan, the, Medical cannabis, Medical pilot, cannabis program. pilot program. Thank you so much. Dictated that that we were not to do that. So there mm-hmm. there was like a lingering like, does this thing that is now outdated and and overshadowed by actual codified law and not just um, and not just agency guidelines 
are, you know, are we still governed by that? So I, I understand where some apprehension was on that end of like, you're not, you, you know, we've had rules before that said don't communicate outwardly. So we're just going to stick with that for safety's sake. I, I can, I can accept that. I can respect that. I can deal with that. But what I, what I couldn't deal with was ignoring consumers who just wanted attention to their needs. Yeah. Right. It's, it's not acceptable in any business to ignore your consumer on the other end who needs attention from you when you sold them a product. Or like, I know this is a little different, but I, I relate it to the, how the consumer feels because I'd like to think that my podcast does things for some of the cannabis consumers. Yeah. Like it, it didn't seem like, I don't mean to say it was hard on you, but it didn't seem easy on you to like you. You were like, I, I'm trying to make this happen. We were trying, we were trying to yeah. make an IESO yeah. podcast happen, and I think you saw the value in it. Mm -hmm. um, can I ask you, you know, let's play, let's put ourselves in their shoes, maybe yeah. play devil's advocate. How would you put a guardrail? Uh, like, how would you structure a conversation with somebody like me as a cultivator? Like, so, so I would. So, what's nice about the cannabis industry and the conversations that are had and can be had kind of, uh, you know, driving, driving a narrative is that an issue faced by one cultivator or one dispensary is an issue faced by all cultivators and all dispensaries. And as soon as everybody realizes that, that we're all playing ball on the same field and that the shortcoming of one is the shortcoming of all that you can start having an honest conversation about it. And when you can level with your consumer that, hey, you know, here's why these things happen and how they work in different ways and how they're interconnected and why you should still do business with us even when we are having issues with what we're bringing to market, right? Then what you're doing is earning that credibility, that important credibility that we've talked about throughout this course of this entire podcast, right? Just owning up to the issues and then saying, here's how we're working to fix them and stick with us, right? If you don't like what we're doing now, we're improving and see what you'll like about what we're doing in three months or six months or what have you, right? And so that's like, you know, we, we kept that conversation going to the point that when we we're able to say, hey, we fixed our product issues. We fixed our, uh, you know, things going on in, in our cultivation center. We've got our delivery to market lined out here that when we were ready to execute on that, the work that we had done to engage consumers when we weren't having as much success led us to be able to go out and really just blow it up and like complete 180 the brand without having to go out there and try and buy our way through it. Like we earned the brand recognition that we now have. Yeah. That didn't just fall out of the sky because we went out and we handed out a bunch of, of uh, you know, merch. It didn't happen because we were able to buy our way through the market. It happened because we recognized processes that need to be changed, need to be fixed in order to, you know, produce better product for the market. And then we backed that up with the appropriate customer service. And then we just followed through on it in making sure that the conversations happening around our product and around our brands were the ones that needed to be happening because it represented the bettering of the product, right? Gotcha. And I'm not trying to sit here and give too much greens to a former employer here, but like, you know, I recognize what we did over time. Like we, we, we had junk. We worked through the, the, you know, the, the service of, of customers. When we, when we had junk, we fixed 
the junk and then we utilized the goodwill that we developed through the customer service that we provided when we had junk and transitioned into positive notoriety when our junk turned to gold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, there, there was a point in time where, you know, a lot of product had to go through uh, the lab because it just wasn't fit for in consumption in the market, right? Whether it was testing low or it had, you know, an issue back from the lab or whatever, the reality was like, okay, you know, we, we're gonna have to transition this product. It's gonna have to run through the lab and we're gonna have to suffice off of that for like a four or six month period. Like, again, I go back to Davey being a real scientist in an environment staffed with real scientists, doing real sciencey stuff that just happened to be around that fun little plant that we all like to smoke. Yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. Well, um, yeah, uh, I think it's, it's interesting. I I just always think of it this way, you know, I don't even know how I would put a number on it, but I know that if you asked me in the year 2007 and let's just like pretend I have all the knowledge that I have now, if you you aren't 12, yeah, right. (laughs) Basically, uh, in, in 2007, if you would ask me, Cole, how many people are growing slash selling cannabis in the state of Illinois? Yeah. So, well, it's got to be in the thousands. Yeah. It's, it was 17. Technically, now I think we're a little bit over 100 mm-hmm. people that have been licensed. And so I, I don't know what you think about this perspective, but I truly feel like some of the cultivators, the way they feel, like it's not like they're not trying to make a better product. Like, mm-hmm. of course, they want to be the best cultivator yeah. and have the best product. Ever. Nobody gets a cannabis license like, I'm going to grow some shit weed. Right. You know, like, <laughs> uh, th- that's, that's the goal. Um, but I think a little bit of like their, I want to call it negligence, but it's also like, like their hesitation rather yeah. to engage with the community and do anything for the community. We've already established that they report to the shareholders. But another thing is I think that they've got like an attitude of like, where the fuck are you going to go? Yeah. I'm huh. especially when it was just yeah. 17 people holding licenses. Like I'm the, if you want to buy it legally, I'm one of the 17 people you can get it from. Yeah. Well, and, and you've got, you've got things like, you know, so, so I went, I went, I've gone through the, the interview process with the sins for a mark with the sin for a marketing gig with them. I've been through, through three interviews and, and talked about, you know, a little bit about, you know, how their border stores are their cash cows. Right. Yeah. So at, at a point, like it's simply positioned within the market, the physical locations and the traffic that come through them, that comes through them, that, you know, makes marketing messages nil, right? That the real money in this industry is made through delivery through retail fronts to end consumers, right? It's not it's not made through amazing marketing, right? Yeah. That the the marketing is for incremental gains. The supply chain is for real value, mm-hmm. right? So you you look at things like this and you say, okay, well, you know, maybe they just you know maybe different folks feel like they don't have to appeal to consumers because well, there's just a bunch of consumers out there and what do we have to care about a handful of complaints exactly. here and there but yeah. like invest in that and enrich that relationship and see how that enriches the brand and the product overall yeah right like like put into put into that service put into that messaging like care about you know connecting with folks because cannabis at the end of the day is also still a relationship uh market right people you know, whether, whether you are in the traditional market where your relationship is with, you know, your guy or your girl who, who hooks you up mm-hmm. or, you know, that, that relationship is with uh, a particular bud tender or with a particular brand or with a particular dispensary or whatever it may be, right? Like 
recognize and respect that relationships still matter no matter how big or how much control you think you have over a market because everything is temporary. Yeah. Yeah. Very well said. <laughs> very well said. And I, I really think that the first group to do that, to, to, to just invest in the community will be rewarded handsomely. Yeah. And I think your shareholders may even like it because it's like, <laughs> you know, if people are flooding and they're talking about it and yeah. you've built up that recognition, I think that's a good thing. So, um, well, that was a good conversation. I, I want to ask one more time, yeah. just in case, like, how would you, as a cannabis company, set up the guard? I'm just curious. Like, I'm sure you've been in these conversations, mm-hmm. and I'm not asking you yeah, to, yeah, no, you're good. to to give away maybe something that IESA would be worried to talk about. But as like from coming from a a license holder standpoint, mm-hmm. how would you structure a conversation with somebody like me? I feel like some people think I'm a wild card, and they're like, oh, I don't know what he's gonna say. Yeah, or, yeah. You know. I, again, again, so like that's that's silly. It's the same thing. You know, I, I think I think Jason at Illinois News Join is is in, a, is in a similar boat, right? Where people are skeptical and hesitant, but that is just natural, right? That's a cross industry that people who are drivers of industry and like create businesses for you know, the, the, the commerce, uh, associated with them aren't necessarily people that are media first people, right. Yeah. That, that they're not so much afraid of the conversation around cannabis as much as it is uh, fear of just conversation in general around <laughs> anything because conversation feels like liability. Yeah, right? Con- true. You start <laughs> like, saying what you believe in. Yeah. And shit. Ooh, no. Oh, no. Oh, <laughs> right. we're, gonna, we're, we're in real trouble now because right. we've expressed views that right. may be counter to. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's exactly. it, No, no. Like I. So. So what what like I guess what the, the conversation or the, the question again is like, what do you think would make what makes people in the industry apprehensive about having these conversations uh, yeah. that that go further into it? Um, yeah, I, I think, I think the other side of it is not, nobody likes to be the one to like take the jump first. Yes. Right. So that's, that's another part of it, right? Their, their fear of the unknown because they're not paying attention to what you're trying to do. Right. Right. And I, and I have the same thing with the WTF Carbondale platform, right? I get a lot of flack from a lot of people, uh, because they're, you know, they, they don't understand like what the end goal of the platform is, right? And that is to allow people in Carbondale who are residents of this place to control their own story, right? And push back against the, the uh, you know, the... the uh, um, Maybe the story that outsiders are trying to paint. Thank you. Yeah. That's exactly what yeah. I was... People that <laughs> aren't actually for. from here. Yeah, you know? exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, um, you know, that, that, you know, that, that just that scares people. And when you tie it to their livelihoods, right, it becomes even scarier. Like, like, you know, if I'm, if I'm a, if I'm a mid or even high level manager with a few people, you know, right above me that can, you know, make the curtain call on my gig at any point in time, if I say the one wrong thing, right, of course, I don't want to go out there and put, you know, my cushy, comfortable cannabis job on the line just to have a conversation with somebody who, you know, I'm not terribly sure you know, as, you know, cultivation worker, uh, manager, a, right. That I'm not terribly sure how this benefits me in any way, shape or form. So I'm simply going to stay away from it. Right. Mm-hmm. I, and I, and I've said this in, in each one of my interviews with the send that I had, I told them, I was like, I, the reason that I am attracted to your company is because 
Abner, your CEO, is a vocal person who is not afraid to be in front of the conversation. I was like, that is the type of mentality that I can work with mm -hmm. within a company, right? And it's figuring out how to translate that into more palatable, more broad media, right? And getting engaged in conversations like this, not just saying, oh, well, I'm going to write something and share that from my own channel, but I'm going to let somebody have a conversation about this with me and let them drive a little bit of this and just see where we end up when we go explore things, right? Yeah. Like you and I have had this conversation. We've explored, you know, several components of IE. So nothing has been scathing to this point because yeah. the reality is there is nothing scathing out there. Like this industry, right? We know there are a handful of facility issues that everybody deals with across the industry that just need to be you know, addressed as they pop up. Okay, cool. We can deal with that, right? We understand that the industry is investor driven right now, right? And then it's all about return to those folks. Okay, cool. Let's deal with that, right? Uh, you know, we understand, uh, you know, that the that the legalization of cannabis is really just the regulation of cannabis, not the full legalization of it. So we just work within an understanding of these realities and we don't try and sugarcoat them. We have an honest conversation around them. We can talk about faults a little bit, but there's a lot more good happening than there is bad, right? Ultimately, I think when we reflect on as, a, as an industry in 10 years, like, okay, you know, we didn't do everything right in the cannabis industry in the start across the board. But you know what? We did a pretty decent run at it, right? Yeah. We didn't just say, you know, you know, bootleggers, here's your license. Now go figure out your rum running. Like, <laughs> you know, it's not, it's not, it's not bathtub gin to, you know, Walgreens counters type of right. <laughs> type of market issues. It's just figuring out how this works at scale with regulation and as industry. Right. And it's it it goes back to guys like Kyle who are doing this work to establish quality regulation and systems of accountability in addition to uh, systems that can help uh, ensure that accountability is is met. Like what, what he does is his 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 the thing that he sells to um, um to cultivation uh, centers is is a um, is a is a system that uses uh, chlorine dioxide to ensure everything in the facility is clean. It's something that they've used in hospitals for decades and decades and decades. And turns out it is simple and easy to apply in the cannabis industry, and it negates a whole number of issues. And I, and I can't remember exactly what they say. It's do this, don't remediate, right? I can't remember what they start off with about like, you know, hey, we good process up front, no remediation and back, like fix it on the front end, yeah. don't fix it on the back end. Like make sure that you don't have issues with powdery mildew, or you don't have issues with invasive bugs, or you don't have XYZ issues, whatever it is on the front end. So that way you don't have to worry about do I need to find a way to remediate it on the back end? Right. Right. You, you, you fix it on the front end. You don't have that issue on the other side of it. Yeah. Right. And I think that that can be something applied to the issue of the conversation right now. Right. People are more worried about the back end than they are the front end. But if they would put in on the front end with you, right, that the back end of that would, would see, uh, you know, a media product produced that ultimately does better for a company than it does worse. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's my mindset on it at least.
licensed. I agree with what you're saying. And like, let me put it this way. Like if somebody came on my show and they're like, yeah, I've got great weed. You should come to the store. You should get this weed. <laughs> it's it's awesome. You know, and I go there and it's like not as, it's not as good as maybe they talked about. Yeah. In that instance, because they have had a conversation with me and they seemed pretty insistent and let's just like in this hypothetical scenario, they're mm-hmm. cool people. I would give them the benefit of the doubt because they've reached out to me. They've yeah. established a connection with me. They've suggested something yeah. to me. Um, and even if, like I say, the product wasn't exactly as they described, I'd at least be willing to give them the benefit of the doubt that yeah. like maybe most times it is, maybe I just got a bad batch, you know, something <laughs> like that. Yeah. So, uh, this will be our last little thing and then yeah. we'll, we'll spin to some easier conversation. Um, I just wanted to ha- like, what do you think about the transparency or lack thereof ooh, in the ooh, cannabis ooh, industry. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So here's, here's where I'll dig deep on some shit. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, personally I got along with our license holder, Tom Jennings, right? Tom was always nice to me. Uh, it was never, never had anything uncordial, Never, never had any interaction that wasn't cordial, but the reality is that dude is the former ag director for the state of Illinois that, you know, got a license because of the political relationships and Mm -hmm. was able to fund it because, Hey, I'm license holder over here. And here's billionaire a over here. That's going to hold a good chunk of the company and, you know, make it go and whatever else, um, you know, the, the issues that, you know, there, there are issues throughout this industry. Like I, I, if I was to say the what is the biggest issue with the cannabis industry, um, and and not just relate it back to transparency, but relate it back to everything, right? It is paperwork, right? This is this is not just about growing the plant and delivering the plant to market and making money off that plant. It is cutthroat, and the people at the investor and the owner levels, right, are out for blood, mm-hmm. right, across the board. Um, and it doesn't matter if it's small contractual obligations or big, you know, corporate merger deals. The reality is, is everybody's always got that knife held behind their back at that level, yeah. ready to <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> stick it, stick it into somebody. Right. And I'm, and I, you know, and I don't know, cause I haven't had, you know, the, the intergovernmental conversations about it. Right. But, you know, it's very clear that, that, you know, government over the course of time from, from the early, you know, 20 teens of, of, Pat you Quinn's know, days. Yeah. Uh, yeah. and, and through, and through the rounder administration and, and up to where we are now, right? Like, you know, I will, I will give, I will give JB Pritzker the credit in that, right? All of the, all of the things having to do with social equity, not from an access to the economic component of cannabis in the state, but as it relates to, uh, you know, uh, the, uh, of restorative justice, right. We've done a pretty good job on that end, right. Not perfect, yeah. but, but pretty, but pretty good, especially when you compare it with, um, you know, with everybody else who is, who has gone down the path that we have. Um, right. And I, and I would say that he probably has no interest in this outside of, you know, what, what the people that are in the legislature and in the regulating bodies do and say, because cannabis is, is a, is a very small issue in the grand scheme of, you know, state policy issues. Yeah. Right. So, so the, the policy work is, is, you know, left less to, uh, you know, folks as a mainstream conversation, more as a, you know, niche presentation. 
yeah. right? So I'm I'm sure that the same issues that exist in the you know business to business aspect of transacting uh, ownership and investment in cannabis companies uh, is just as relatable in uh, you know a a policy making space, whether it's at um, you know the the um, you know at a, at a legislative level or at an administrative level, right? Uh, just I'm there are. I can't imagine what you could dig up with a couple good FOIAs in this industry, yeah. right? The communication, okay. the communication between uh, different uh, between different businesses and the state, and what is accessible through FOIA, and what would be considered trade secrets and not accessible. I'm sure you could scoop up all sorts of stuff about like what are the real issues on the back end of the paperwork side of the cannabis industry that need addressed. But unfortunately, we've only got a handful of folks that have, you know, a very limited amount of time to be able to report on a very big and, you know, ever growing industry yeah. here in Illinois. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's very well said. Um, yeah. One of the things I was thinking about with regard to transparency is like, and this is in the law. This is like not, I mean, you could argue and I, would in yeah. certain circumstances that it, companies have a moral obligation to be upfront about recalled products mm -hmm. or, or whatever it may be. Um, but we found like through uh, conversations with Tom Shuba and Stephanie Zimmerman at the Chicago Sun-Times that uh, I think it was an ataraxia mm -hmm. batch this dispensary knew was contaminated and they ended up for like one of the first times in Illinois cannabis history issuing a recall, but it was like, okay, like this is the first time we've ever seen a recall. Yeah. Why haven't we seen more recalls? Yeah. You look into the law and it's like, well, it's codified so that it's, if you want to keep it between you and the state, yep. you can. Yep. And, and we, we had that issue one time with one batch of concentrate that like, barely made it to market and we clawed it back right away destroyed it and never ran that product or anything that was anywhere near it again like that something something that was incorrect was sprayed on something at the wrong time and the the flower never went to market but it did go to concentrate and then the concentrate uh, when we when we figured out oh this this plant got sprayed with something at the wrong time and then went through um, you know, to, to, uh, to be made into concentrate. We are like, okay, well, we figured out the issue, bring it back. And we just scrubbed everything. And that was that we, right. we you know, the, the product simply was no longer out there. And we never, we never issued a recall for anything. Now, granted the other side of a recall, right. Is that, is there, is there enough product Right. in market to be able like, oh, this, right? Like in yeah. our case, you know, there were maybe, there were maybe like dozens of product packages that had gone to market that hadn't actually sold through at dispensaries, but had just been like delivered to dispensaries. Yeah. So it was, it was different than like, oh, well, there are thousands of eights of problematic flour that have gone out there and we need to make sure that everybody knows but see, everywhere. Like, even a case <laughs> like that, it's interesting what a dispensary can do because mm -hmm. if you let them know, uh -huh. and you're not even saying like, let the consumers know, what I've seen, like, okay, so the, you remember the vape scare? Well, I mean, it was more than a scare. I mean, the vitamin E acetate thing killed people and it yeah. killed hundreds of people, right? Yeah. And that was because one really shitty, shady fucking company in whatever it was, California or Oregon or whatever, mm -hmm. like, you know, fucked up their vapes and then distributed those vapes throughout the country yeah. through the traditional market. And it's like that, 
you know, right. I, God, I hope nothing like that ever happens again. Yeah. Right. But like, what's, what does accountability and transparency look like in order to ensure that nothing like that ever happens sure. again? But like, so, uh, when that happened, there was one product that I know of for sure mm -hmm. that, that was identified as like, Hey, this needs to go. It's, yeah. it's got whatever that we're worried about. I don't know if it was vitamin E acetate or what it was because there was a list of things mm -hmm. if I recall correctly. And it was a revolution splash cartridge. What did my dispensary do? They just sold it for cheaper. Ooh, yeah. See, that's that's highly now. So like I, I, I and and this was like this was OK. And it happened at multiple stores. It yeah. wasn't necessarily illegal because there was like a deadline where it's like, OK, these products can't be on the shelf anymore. And that was it. No. So but I think like with a situation that you just uh, described, mm -hmm. they could do that and you wouldn't even know about it as a company. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, the biggest thing that I feel like is like hush hush and it's not even a big deal. Yeah. It's not even a big deal. It's the use of remediation. You, you, Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. 100%. 100%. Like, I don't understand. Everybody's microwaving their weed these days. <laughs> yeah, like, no. I, I mean, I, re I remember when we first heard about, uh, right. So, so I will say when I, when I left, right, we had, we had talked a little bit about, remediation uh and and you know do we do we get something or do we not get something but there was never really like any any action on it right like the the craziest thing that they did was was get a you know was get a barrel trimmer uh not even to just trim all of the weed but just to help do some initial trimming before it went to hand trim right like that's the craziest thing yeah. that happened at ISO right <laughs> like and and you know when we when we you know when the when the conversations first started happening around um you know the how do you even refer to it when you use like the 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 like the microwave or the nuclear whatever oh, the radiation the radiation thank yeah, you yeah. that sounds like nuclear yeah, yeah. nuclear <laughs> um but but like the 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 remediation through radiation right and it's like if this was happening any other products right they'd have to be stamped with uh, you know, thing. Uh, a, like a nuclear like logo the Redura, or, or, yeah the yeah. radura symbol and in canada it's it is required i think even for cannabis as well as like other products yeah I don't know about the requirements in, in the United States about irradiation. But the, the point is, like, yeah. I always try to, like, make sure we're very clear. We're not trying to, like, scare people. I've not been led to believe that any of these practices are, like, inherently bad. Yeah. But here's what I'm saying. The fact that we talk about it, but, like, people in the industry are real. Like, yeah. Like, I've asked people directly, and they're like, we don't want to talk about it. But then the same company tries to take tries to tell us to take something down that their employee posted i'm being very vague uh, <laughs> their employee posted something about them using uh, irradiation technology and a bunch of other allegations that whether or not they're true who knows uh they asked us to take it off i me i say me us is in the, the moderation the mod yeah mod team um they asked us to take it down and i said look it doesn't break any of our rules, uh, but you can feel free to issue a cease and desist to your employee, yeah. you know, and uh, I would start, I gave them, uh, it was weird giving them advice, like maybe just start off with a conversation with your employee, have them take it down <laughs> themselves. Have you ever tried talking to them? Yeah. Have you ever, <laughs> have you ever tried management? Have you, have, you know, you know, if there, do you have a human resources department? Right. Is that a, you know, it's funny is that that <laughs> post ended up being, I mean, they obviously did what they had to do mm -hmm. and that user took it down. 
which all but confirmed exactly what I was talking about. Yeah. And look, here's the thing. I've literally talked to remediation companies and they admit to me that most that they work with most of the companies yeah. in Illinois. So it's funny how like on their side of the business, they're like, oh yeah, we work with everybody and we do a great job. We got great equipment uh-huh. and everything else. But then on the side of the industry where you actually have to use the to- tools, they're like, we, we don't. Well, and, and, it, and it comes down to, right, because it, it, it cycles back to the issue of, you know, you're asking the question to, to me of, you know, what what would make a cultivator or dispensary or, or anybody in the cannabis industry more comfortable talking to you during their time in industry working for somebody, right? And it's not being afraid of how the end consumer of the media and the participants in the conversation are going to view these things, right? Like, you know, I, I, when I first started with IESO, I had it out with your buddies at Chicago Kush, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right? Like I didn't give a shit. Like I, I, and I told Freddie, like, this is how I do. This is how I deal with people. And let me know, like, when we get to the point where we need to like shut this down. So no, that we're we can, all good. Yeah. Okay, cool. Thank you. Though. Uh, no, you're, you're all right. Um, so like I, I told, you know, I, I explained to, and look, Freddie. you don't have to mince words. I know I know Fabian and I know the people at Chicago Kush and yeah. I'd call them friends, but I've met them once. So, yeah. you know, it's fine. No, I mean, and they're, and they're, and they're like solid yeah. internet shit talkers. Good on them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, and at the time, right, when I first started, our bar stuff was dog shit, right? But like, I'm trying to be out here and represent the brand and whatever else. And I don't remember where the fuck I was going with this whole conversation to begin with no, about, about, about engaging with folks oh, because yeah. they're, because they're afraid of catching the flack and then not knowing how to manage the conversation beyond the initial conversation. Like if they say something here, then they have to what go deal mean, with it yeah. when somebody makes a post here or comments on a post there or sends them a message here or emails them, whatever, or, yep. or says something to a, to a, God forbid, a consumer's having a discussion with a bud tender and that bud tender doesn't know how to do these things. You have to condition the industry. Mm-hmm. You have to condition the industry to not be afraid of itself, to acknowledge its own shortcomings, to acknowledge what is safe and what is not safe, right? Uh, that there's a difference between something being safe and something being, you know, uh, acceptable to the end consumer, right? Like let's, you know, if we talk about irradiation specifically, right? Is it safe? I don't have an answer for you because I'm, I'm not that, but like, let's say that irradiation. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you've been led to believe that it is from the companies who do this and have done the science behind it. So let's say that irradiation is safe, but that doesn't mean that the conversation around irradiation is safe because it's, you know, it's, fucking scary to talk about irradiating your weed to make right. sure that it doesn't have powdery mildew on it mm-hmm. uh, before it goes into the market. Yeah. Right. And that's, you know, and it's, it's tough. Like it's, it's, it's tough that like literally what the, what the cannabis industry is fighting is a little bit of mold and a little bit of bugs, right? Like that's, that's the fight. That's where you're fighting some mold and you're fighting some bugs and you simply don't have the processes in place yet to do a, you know, meat packing facility level job of making sure everything's, you know, managed and, and clean to the extent that these issues don't happen, right? That mm-hmm. you don't have bug infiltration or you don't have mold infiltration or whatever it may be, right? So again, this just goes back into to the work that Kyle does is that it's, you know, the idea to, uh, you know, fix it before it's ever a problem, right? Yep. Make sure that you're managing your processes on the front end and finding the right the right products that can service the plant in the right way, right? Because that's the other issue, right? I mean, my God, all of 
all of the chemicals that go into growing cannabis across the country, right? It's it's problematic when this is some, you know, this is a plant that you could just throw into the ground and it's likely to take. Yeah, That's where work like what Osama does comes into play because he's working on, you know, sequencing the 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 genome and and all the other sciencey stuff that comes along with it. God, I wish I was smarter than I am sometimes. Cole, man, I hey, tell you, dude. Tell me about it. Tell me about it. It's the story of this podcast. Everybody knows. I just want to be smarter. That's yeah. all I want. If I could just figure out a way to arrange the words in a logical sequence, it'd just be like, please, please, something. <laughs> let it rain down on me. Uh, so. To your point, uh, now I promise we're going to get off this topic. No, but, you're good, uh, man. You're good. The, uh, to your point of uh, trying to catch things, put in good so you don't have to remediate later, some companies have publicly now stated, uh, it was in that Chicago Sun-Times uh-huh. investigation I'm talking about, Ataraxia slash Verano have admitted now that they do have a lab on site to ensure that no products leave in other words, to ensure that whenever we send something to the lab, yeah. it is going to pass testing. Yeah. Which, on one hand, you could say, well, that's business smart. Yeah. On the other hand, what I realize is that what it means is that they run their tests and they see something tests hot. They're like, okay, let's remediate that before we send it. Yeah. Or, okay, let's turn that into concentrate before yeah. we send it. Yeah. Or an edible, what it, you know, what it, whatever it may be. Um, I truly think that in that regard, and this is like, Again, it's it makes business sense. Mm-hmm. I truly think that they've they have talking about the license holders. They've made it so that it's a lossless uh, industry. Mm-hmm. So so yeah, if you test something bad, as we've talked about on the podcast, the state actually gives you an opportunity to remediate that into concentrate. You know that that's industry in, interesting that you use, and and I hadn't thought of that phrase ever. Uh, just brilliant, lossless industry. Yeah. Right. And, and don't get me wrong. Right. you know, lossless industry is good across the board. Right. It's kind of the use every part of the hog yeah. concept. I mean, you can't it, argue with that too much. You, yeah. As an, like it was coming from an environmental standpoint, yeah. it would like feel bad. Like you just throwing that shit out. Yeah. Like there's gotta be something, <laughs> <Right. laughs> you know? Right. So I get it. Yeah. But, but it's, I think it's something that I, when I thought about it that way, mm-hmm. I was like, huh, they really don't lose anything. Like, so for example, if you just, let's say you grow a product that just doesn't look good. Yeah. I've, I've grown at home and sometimes a bud just doesn't look good. Like I wouldn't give it to a friend as yeah. a, as a gift. Cause yeah. he'd be like, did you get this like, from the 80s? Like what, you know, uh, you know, so that, that happens. But what you do in that circumstance is you make it into edibles. Yeah. You make it into concentrate, yep. you know, make it prettier. <laughs> so, that's it. That's all, that's all it's it is. It's, it's, fine. it's fine. It's finding a place to, Shifted on down the road to, yeah. Oh my gosh, yeah. No, that's that's crazy stuff. I think you're gonna like uh, the the last thing I have planned for today. Oh, oh, you got something planned? No, I didn't really have it planned. I just I thought it would be a good uh, a good little conversation here. Well, my Twitter's not working. Um, so I tweeted the other day, and I just think this will be an interesting conversation. I, I I said what do you think will be something we look back at about cannabis legalization mm-hmm. and we'll laugh about? We kind of talked about yeah. it earlier. Yeah, yeah. So let me start with just a few things. Um, I think, how many responses do you have? Oh, I've got a few. Ah, nice. I've nice. got a few. Yeah. Um, so we can definitely break out into any one of these. Um, I think we will laugh at the fact that we allowed companies to shop for their own testing labs. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the other side of that, right. Is, is mandating what 
product somebody uses for their verification, right? Like BioTrack, right? Like yeah. BioTrack is the state mandated software to which everything is managed through on, on the back end of that. I think if there is, you know, and, and I'm, and I'm not just some, you know, ah, competition yields the best results all of the time type yeah, yeah. of like, you know, uh, player, but it, but in that sense, right. It's like BioTrack sucks. Like yeah. BioTrack is like, really tough to navigate. And I'm somebody who never really had to deal with it. I just had to watch people deal with it. Mm -hmm. And like every now and then, but, but like, you know, I, I think the same thing that can be said for labs, like if it was mandated that, you know, all cannabis cultivators had to use a particular lab in a particular way that it could be just as rife for problems as getting to, you know, buy your own lab or shop for your own lab or whatever yeah. else. So I, you know, I, I can see it. Yes. But on the other side, I also see the other side of what it looks like when you regiment yeah. who you're required to work with. Well, I just wonder like with alcohol and I, I know that, you know, it's not look doing drugs is not inherently healthy all the time. I've mm -hmm. made, I've made this point. People don't yeah. like it, but it's like, you're talking about healthier, but it is inherently human. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> but we were talking about like, say is a safe product mm -hmm. and everything else. And what I think we mean by that is like, it doesn't have heavy metals, yep. toxins, mold yep. with some of the things we've talked about, but when it, it comes down to it, lighting something on fire yeah. and inhaling it. But, but we don't, we don't, we don't have any additional adverse components to it. Right. It's, yeah. the, it's the same thing with alcohol, right? We understand that alcohol is poison Bingo. to the, to the body. Right. But we don't have like formaldehyde in our yes. alcohol <laughs> yes. for preservation of some whatever, right? Yes. Like that's what we're looking for right. here is just, you know, the standards between the safety that we implement for consumption sake or the safety that we had. Yeah. 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 So, so we've established that, but like, Here's my thing about the, the, the labs. I see what you're saying. Like, mm -hmm. I definitely think on the other side, if we had one lab that there'd still be room, uh, for things to go, to go really wrong. Yeah. But I, I just wonder, you know, like you have, it just seems like we hear how ripe with fraud mm -hmm. testing is. Mm -hmm. And I just wonder what the solution is. Um, I mentioned this in my conversation with Buck that I've heard that, you know, if you, if you really want to get an honest readout on your cannabis, take mm -hmm. it to a DEA lab because they have nobody, to, they have nothing to prove. And then get a pair of handcuffs <laughs> you know? to go with Well, it. of course. <laughs> right, right. But, but uh, I, I just wonder like if, if there's some, okay, back to my point about alcohol. And Can I say something real quick? Sure. These seats that I purchased that I have not sat in yet to go with this pub table because this pub table is a little bit too tall suck. Yeah. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No. This seat is garbage. I've been trying to be comfortable this whole conversation and they've just been not good. I'm so just, I apologize to you for an uncomfortable seat. I'm <laughs> impressed that I, maybe when I watch this back, my posture won't be as well, but I was afraid I was going to be like this the whole time. Oh, this no. is how I sit. Yeah. Oh, I so. forgot. I forgot. To go. Yeah. No, I've been, no. I've been here the whole yeah, time. Yeah, this, <laughs> is, this is how I sit. So, um, uh, so, but with, with alcohol and tobacco, you know you're getting a safe product. Yeah. We've established that no drug use is safe, and we're okay yeah. with that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Adults have the ability to engage in risks um, in America, right? It's part of what's great about freedom. Yeehaw. Uh, freedom. Yeah. Give me an eagle. That's right. Anyway, that's the second bird <laughs> sound I've made this podcast. Let's see if I can go for a three-peat before this bad boy is done. Anywho, continue. <laughs> so, like, there, it seems like there's no, like, we've... Now, granted... 
the number of companies that are like actually participating in alcohol and tobacco mm-hmm. or like, it's a small number just yeah. like, and I, I truly believe that it's like, how are we going to avoid that with cannabis? Like if you look at the landscape we're not, of we're other not. brands. So, so what's, what's going to have to happen is something like, uh, you know, craft grow. You're, you're going to, you're going to have major players and you're going to have craft, like that's cra- craft, grow, uh, you know, uh, just, just up the road here, you know, maybe, maybe 15, 20 miles in, in Murfreesboro is big muddy brewing. And I actually talked to, uh, my goodness, I can't remember his name now just off the top of my head. I want to say Doug, but I'm not 100% on that. So don't quote me, but the gentleman who founded, uh, big muddy brewing, uh, a little over a, a decade ago and like went, uh, you know, and, and fought for, you know, craft distribution, Rights to be able to be like to brew smaller batches of beer and get it to market without having to participate in like the strictly held and managed distribution system that exists over major corporate alcohol in this country. And he and he won that fight and like fought through for that. I think something similar is probably what you're going to see is you're going to have, you know, you're going to have you're going to have your Budweiser types. Right. You're going to have your Sam Adams types and then you're going to have your you know, neighborhood brewer types. And those are going to be your three levels. You're not going to have a whole lot of Sam Adams because there's not a whole lot of room for market for the almost big guys. You're going to have two or three, you know, Budweiser types. And then you're going to have the smattering of craft folks throughout the country. I think, you know, maybe, maybe that's what's going to happen. Maybe what's going to actually happen is you're going to have a major, uh, you know, collection of the Sam Adams size guys and then you're only going to have one big, big cannabis company mm-hmm. and then a smattering of, of, of uh, craft grows from there. I, there. There is no way to tell, in my mind, what like 20 years from now in cannabis looks like. Because it, gosh, I mean, if, if, if standards are put in place to favor the little guy over the big guy, there could be a major shift, right? What happens when federal legalization comes down the pipeline and... Who does that benefit most of all? Yeah, and I think that's one of the core uh, debates that the cannabis movement's having right now. And I think that people that are true to the cannabis movement would say, of course, we're for home grow. But I think that a lot of people in the business are starting to mm-hmm. gain this opposition to home grow yeah. uh, because they see how it would conflict with their bottom line. Because I, I think that the way that the future looks is, like you say, there's going to be brands that you can expect to see at any store. Mm-hmm. So if I go to any store that I expect to sell alcohol, I know I'm going to see Bud get, Light, yeah. Miller Light, yeah. Bush Light, yeah. Sam Adams. But there may also be a selection of, uh, you know, some, some craft brew yeah. beer from Carbondale. Or if you're going to champagne, they've mm-hmm. got a... Blind Pig. Let's blind go Blind Pig. pig. Yeah, there, there you go. go. The Blind Pig. Um, Bryce Solano. There's an old school freaking champagne comedy <laughs> shout out. There to go, go to. I hope you're doing well, buddy. I haven't seen you in years. So neither here nor there. I'm just now. Now I'm just now I'm just abusing the platform. No, so you're I'm okay. Sorry. You're okay. <laughs> so, but I was the the te- to wrap up the testing labs point, and then we can go to some other fun yeah, yeah, ones. Yeah, yeah. It it just seems that like with alcohol and and the and tobacco or whatever product you name, I, I don't know who regulates it. Is it it's FDA? I don't know, but it just seems like there's not. Yeah. Food, First know. of all, there's not a competition to have the highest numbers, mm-hmm. which is something we might talk about. Uh, yeah. The highest numbers, you know, it's that's not really the way to shop. Oh my god, out. yeah. But because uh, <laughs> <laughs> think about it, you don't you don't shop that way for alcohol. Yeah, you don't because if you did, then you'd always be going and buying uh, what's that stuff people use to clean? Uh, uh, not Ever, Everclear. Everclear. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> then you'd be buying, everybody would buy Everclear. Yeah. That's how we. But we don't buy alcohol that way. And 
That's the right way are, to look at it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it is because here's, here's the deal, right? This cannabis is not an intoxicant the same way that alcohol is an intoxicant, right? Cannabis is a puzzle piece to your endocannabinoid system. Yeah. Right. Like that's what this is. When you consume cannabis, you're plugging into something that's there that exists within your body versus consuming alcohol where you're essentially beating your body with a baseball. Yeah, you're bat. poisoning yourself. You're poisoning right. Yourself. Right. So like that and you know and, and that's important, right? Because you're you're not it's not just about the highest THC percentage. Is it about it is about what are the right puzzle pieces for the plant that fit into your need as the person consuming the plant. Like that's it. Yeah. That's what it comes down to. Yeah. Well said. All right. So let's let's see some of these other tweets. Uh, the fact that cannabis is sold by Indica Sativa Hybrid. Um, so this all go back to Osama on because he's the he's the scientist guy in all this. He will he will tell you if you talk to him. And I hope that we bump into him on our on our way out the building today that every cannabis plant that we recognize as cannabis, whether it's hemp or whether it's cannabis, as we see it, whatever, whatever we refer to it as that all of these things fall under the family of cannabis sativa et al something like that. Yeah, right. <laughs> that's that's it. Everything is cannabis sativa and our labeling of sativa indica hybrid is, you know, it's it's a little it's a little bit at at a loss of of accuracy. Um but you're trying to communicate something to folks, right? And if you don't have a if you don't have a better way of communicating with it, the the other thing, right, is that this is already like common nomenclature, like so it's it's hard to break away from it, uh, right? Simply because it's it's now it's now there. It's ingrained in people's minds that indica is indica couch. Yeah, <laughs> if yeah. I have to hear one more freaking TV news anchor <laughs> get high on the freaking newscast and talk about indica couch, I'm gonna lose my mind, right? <laughs> but like that's you know, they're all all people are trying to do with that is set an expectation like Goldilocks with the porridge. This one's too hot. This one's too cold. This one's just, just right. right. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I, I don't, I don't know if it will ever go away, but, uh, you know, I think plenty of people trying to have a better conversation around how we talk about cannabis are, are driving us away from that guys like you and I folks that, that work in industry folks that, uh, you know, just love the plant in general and, and spend their time thinking about this more than, uh, you know, uh, average, you know, Sally Joe Bob whoever from, you know, just coming across from Missouri to pick up, uh, you know, a, a jar or something, you know, they're, they're never going to care about this until the conversation is at a critical mass of meaning that it just changes the way that they have to talk about it. Right. Yeah. Because all they want is the effect. All they want is the, is the end result of the product. They're not really that worried about, uh, how are we naming mm -hmm. cannabis? But you know, as it starts from the ground up of people that that make decisions and have influence on industry, eventually that influence from the inside out will hopefully lead to better classifications of, um, you know, of cannabis in the way that we want to consume it. Yeah. Right. Fre Freddie always had a spiel for me about how um, how you can't label an edible an indica sativa or a hybrid because once it's gone through that process as part of the edible, it's just fucking the weed yeah. and again i'm not smart enough to recall exactly everything that he said but he had a very he didn't like say 
when you put it in the edible, it's just the fucking weed. <laughs> yeah, you didn't say it exactly like that. I'm sure it was much, much better crafted than that. But anyway, next tweet, next tweet. Let's keep. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, I don't want to. I don't want to not no. get through some no, of so these because I'm super interested. This is good. Uh, so I'm gonna quickly wrap back around. Yeah. So hear me yeah. out on this one. Somewhat related to what I just talked about, uh, claims about terpenes, mm-hmm. uh, i.e. myrcene will make you calm, limonene will relax your thigh muscles, guanine cures cancer. Of course, none of those claims have actually, I don't think they've actually been made, but l- let me just wrap back around to Indica Sativa Hybrid for a mm-hmm. moment, and I want to give you like uh, an interaction I had, and then I want to like see what you think, uh, see what you think about like my takeaway from this. So, uh, my co-host, who used to be a bud tender, Justine. Um, yep, Justine. Hello, Justine. Hello. <laughs> um, so she, uh, she has told me that the things that I talk about on my show would make her job as a bud tender very hard. Yes. And I said exactly. Yes. And I don't mean that. I started this show to put bud tenders out of work. <laughs> I started this show to put bud tenders out of work. No, I. what I'm trying to say is that exactly. Indica sativa hybrid, terpenes, all these little buzzwords that we're throwing around with yeah. confidence, they're used to sell product to yes. people. Yeah. And I, and I, but the, here's my thing. I want them to have more depth. That's yeah. like my interest in it. Like yeah. I want it to have, I want it to stand uh, like, I want it to have ground to stand on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't want it to be able to uh, wither under my scrutiny. Like I just bought a mic. Like how is how are big concepts like these that are being put on posters and dispensaries mm-hmm. and and uh, campaigned essentially by major corporations? Mm-hmm. How am I able to easily dismantle these? Frankly, myths. I'm not even going to miss. No, there's there's nothing there's nothing easy about dismantling myths. You just have to keep having the conversation and hope that eventually that conversation again. I go back to the critical mass concept grows to the point at which, uh, you know, the the people that you have influenced in your immediate circle then influence their circle and it just exponentially grows. Yeah. And because you have introduced. Uh, the language now that is the language that exists, right? The concept of 420 is a great example of that, right? Yeah, 420 true. has not always been part of cannabis culture, man. Like <laughs> 420 is only several decades old, right? And weed's been around much longer than just yeah. you know the 1970s. So you're telling me that like in Abraham Lincoln's day, he didn't say, "Oh, what's the what's the proper time?" Because that's how they asked time uh, for time. He's like, "It's 420." <laughs> Blaze it. What did what did what did what? Did, <laughs> oh my God! I made I made a post for president's day um <laughs> just just playing around i can't believe freddie even gave me the okay to do this i, I made it kind of jokingly he was like yeah post that <laughs> and i was like uh it was something like a nation divided among itself must break it down and roll it up or <laughs> something, something just goofy and a george washington one that was like you know i chopped the cherry tree and i smoked the cherry kush or like it's just goofy goofy things um but yeah, no, that's, that's, <laughs> yeah. I just think that the way that we sell cannabis is the way that we sell cannabis yeah. and that maybe soon in the future, we'll have an honest conversation about what everything means. Well, and, and, you know, cause you think about where it comes from in the traditional market of your guy always being like, man, I got the best shit. Yeah. Right. Like now, yeah. like that, that particular, this is an interesting thing that's, that may or may not be in the tweet somewhere. Right. But, but now let's talk about how you know the the traditional market moved into 
uh, you know, this regulated market and understanding like what are some of the layovers of that. And I think that that showmanship in presentation that may not necessarily have factual basis um, is one of the things that is a layover from the traditional market, yeah. right? Yeah. That this is how people are accustomed to talking around and about the plant. So we're just going to keep going because mm-hmm. this is what people are comfortable with already. Yeah. And I'd go even so far as to say that, especially in Illinois, bud tenders, and look, like I don't like saying these things, yeah. but they're, they are glorified cashiers. Oh, let's hold on real, real quick. Let's do another plug for seed talent. You're welcome, Freddie. I'll send you, I'll send you a bill for this. You too, Kurt, you guys are doing great. And, uh, but you know, things, things like seed talent. And I do, this is another one of those things where, where I worked like diligently for months, like with Kurt gobbled up too much of his time, cursed the CEO of, of seed talent used to work for GTI, yada, yada, yada. And, and like I gobbled up a bunch of his time thinking we were going to execute a seed talent, um, uh, campaign, uh, to help with bud tender education. And we just never got it to fruition. But it's tools like these, right, that that uh, acclimate a, a a broad knowledge base into a uh, single location, and then point it at industry, specifically for bud tenders and other folks that are at the at the at the front of selling. Here, uh, you know, it it puts this information in front of them and says, here, uh, educate yourself, educate yourself on the company dime, educate yourself. Uh, you know, at the expense and the value of of a cultivator who wants to give you merch for learning about their products, right? It's a tool like this that makes sense to do something like amplifying the conversation you're trying to have, and then that amplified conversation making into the hands of people at the forefront of industry. And when I say forefront, I mean at the counter selling yeah. it to you, right? And then changing the conversation from that point of contact with the consumer. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's that's a way to get around it, right? Yeah. You know, again, shout out, Seed Talent, Yeehaw. Yeah. Go <laughs> for yeah. it, go for it. Well, I just, in the spirit of you saying that like some of the showmanship is a carryover from the legacy market, I think that having a bud tender is a carryover from, we were like, well, how do we do this? Okay, in the other places that we serve drugs mm-hmm. in America, we have a bartender. Our, a our, yeah, our, our regulated consumption sites. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> our, our, oh, we got a bud tender. Okay, so, um, but I just, I feel bad sometimes when I talk about these things because some bud tenders will write in and they'll be like, you know, I loved your show and then you you bash on me and say that my job's not important. And, and I, that's not what I'm trying to say, first of all, but I'm just trying to, have like an honest con- like I have met good mm-hmm. bud tenders. Yeah. I'm not going to sit here and say that there aren't good bud tenders. I'm just saying that in Illinois, it's a consumer packaged good. Yeah. Even though it shouldn't be, in yeah. my opinion, it is a consumer packaged good. And so the bud tender can provide you some good perspective. And mm-hmm. I think they 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 did the work that IL Tree does. IL Trees does back in the day. I'm going to switch to your camera so I can go charge my phone real quick. Keep <laughs> no <talking>. problem. <laughs> but uh, I think that like bud tenders do what IL trees, they did what IL trees does in that they were able to tell a patient or a customer like what to expect. Right. And, um, but now that we have IL trees and and that we have the internet and other people are starting to create cannabis podcasts and cannabis content. Um, I just think that, uh, yeah, it's, it's possible that, 
unfortunately, the way that this industry is currently set up, that position could go by the wayside. And we're starting to see that with the installation of touch screens at dispensaries. There's not even a human. You don't even interact with the human anymore. Well, yeah, And, that, and, and I'm not saying that's right. I'm just saying that there's no other real way for this to evolve, I think. I just figured out how to sit in this chair after sitting in it. Oh, yeah? For like you, were past. you sitting in it wrong? Yeah, I just, yeah. Well, I've got a big old butt that just needed to sit in it differently than where, <laughs> where it was. Um, you know, I'm... <laughs> The we look for a level of technical relationship with cannabis that we don't look for in anything else that we consume in our life, right? Which is another thing that makes it very difficult. A lot of people who work in the cannabis industry come out of retail and service industry where we do very similar work at a different scale, yeah, right? So I worked at GameStop for two years when I was coming out of high school and first starting college. And you have a target in the middle of your forehead that a customer shoots at when they walk into your door, whether they're somebody who is completely uneducated or is much more knowledgeable or thinks they're much more knowledgeable than you. And in that sense, I can understand where, you know, the difficulty of, a bud tender's job as just a traditional employee is even harder. Right, right. Right, than, than any other industry. Add to that the expectation for bud tenders to wrap their identity into their work. Yes. For what is essentially minimum or near minimum wage. Right. Right. The expectation to bring every fiber of your being to work because you are presenting yourself as a representation, not of just the business, mm -hmm. not of just yourself, but as the cannabis industry as a whole, because you are the bud tender. You are representative of, you know, the, the front line of efforts in, you know, legalizing and bringing cannabis to, to market and making it a, a social norm. And so people take a lot of pride in that. And I would really say that probably a lot of our, you know, a lot of our larger corporate entities take too much advantage yeah. of that, right? Very and well then said. and then don't give their employees the tools, right, to navigate this environment. Boom. That's what I was really, you know, I seed talent, give them them tools. Anyway, <laughs> sorry, I'm done. No, I'm done. Okay. Freddie, you owe me for this podcast, bro. <laughs> you owe me. He was so excited when I talked to him just a day or two ago, and he was like, and when I told him I was doing, we were doing the podcast today, he was like, oh my gosh, you got to send it to me right when it's done. I was like, you'll, oh, yeah. you'll get it, Freddie. You'll get it, man. <laughs> oh, <yeah>. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a, it's a good way of putting it. Like I, I've trying to find a way to like speak clearly to the bud tenders to say that like, this isn't what I want. It yeah. just seems like you're set up for failure. Yeah. Like, I don't know what other out. And I feel for you. Like, I actually feel for you. Cause I, so like I mentioned, I, I don't know if I mentioned it in this show. Uh, it's just in Colorado. And I realized I was talking to a bud tender and he was showing me some good weed and everything. And I was like, hey, man, do you have anything that just smells like like it's like skunky? Yeah. Like, I, I know that you have a bunch of fruity stuff. And that's yeah. really cool. It's honestly really awesome. Like, he showed me some things that, like, that smells like Captain Crunch. That smells like lemons. Yeah. That smells like berries. Right? That's super cool. Yeah. But I was just looking for classic weed. Just skunky, yeah. obnoxious weed. And I asked him that. And he was like, he was taken aback. And I was like, Oh, my bad. Like, I realized I asked it because I was like, do you have any weed that just, it's just skunky. It just smells like skunk. 
and he like turned around and looked at this wall of like 72 strains <laughs> and he was just like oh <laughs> and crap. i was like oh i'm sorry man uh let me i feel like that was a really tough question let me rein it in a little bit what are some favorites that you've had yeah you know just try to like make their job a little bit easier because yeah. i have some compassion for it it's like when he turned around i like saw his body language he's like I was like, do you have anything that smells like skunk? He just yeah. turns around and looks at the wall. And it's just like, do we? I don't fucking know yeah. what we have in here today. Hello, it's there, man. Yeah. It's there. Well, and, and I, I think, you know, the, the compassion component is another thing, right? Because there is, there, it just doesn't, the industry feels like a meat grinder and there is no compassion from any direction for the people that are again at that front line doing the, doing the bud tender work, right? There's not a lot of compassion, uh, you know, from, from the corporate vertical and there's not a lot of compassion from the yeah. consumer across they're the counter, a rock and a hard right? Place. <laughs> you know, they're, they're just, they're told to show up with everything that they could possibly have, put it all on the table and then, you know, just put it on the shelf when they, when they leave, when they're done with their shift. And it's, yeah, man, it's, it's, it's frustrating. And I, and I think that, you know, what might we really look back on in, in 20 years and go, huh, uh, you know, maybe it's the way that we structured the front line of this, of this whole industry to, to begin with. Yeah. I think, I think that's very much the big dang light bulb. Was that the right way to go about this? Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe we could have had a bit more respect for the worker uh, and for the, and for, and for what we asked that worker to bring to the table when they walk in the door each day because it is it is more intensive than anything that fits the same working mold it is different than than any table you can wait than any other store that you can sell across the counter for uh and yeah yeah i just i have i have i have empathy for 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 bud tenders especially as somebody who has gotten to you know live the the no pun intended cushiest life uh in the cannabis industry where you know i didn't i didn't have to go out and bust my butt in the greenhouse every day all i had to do is you know sit in a chair and think of funny snarky things to post on the internet and then take pictures and make things look pretty and do some digital merchandising like my the the effort that i put in was effort that came from you know, being being a skilled marketer, not from having to exert myself and really like invest emotionally and physically in the work that I did. Whereas people who are bud tenders, people who are who are you know cultivating the plants, these people have to put their bodies and their minds on the line to deliver an end product for everybody's enjoyment. Yeah, and it's it's taxing. It is. Well, let's. Yeah, let's, let's, machine, get, let's keep let's going. machine let's keep, gun through right, these boom, and boom, boom. we'll wrap up. I'll, I'll give you yeses and noes as you go down. <laughs> Possession limits. In the future, cannabis will be treated like beer or any other amenity. In other words, no limit to the amount you may possess or purchase. God, I hope it happens. I'd hope so. Yeah. But but I <laughs> I don't see it happening, Yeah. which is unfortunate. Um, here I'll be able to practice my off mic yell, which I really go. appreciate in comedy. Uh, cash only in the future will be allowed to rack up credit card debt on booze, cannabis, and cigarettes. America, uh, fuck yeah! <laughs> I uh, you know I don't know, uh, you know ba- banking banking's a banking's a major complexity within this industry, and I don't know that even once banking is fully established and legal and manageable and whatever else that um, you know because you've got so many different stages. Um, you know, of processing a transaction that I don't know that that facilitation between uh, the purchaser and, you know, the in-banking institution with the eight different other 
uh, you know, entities that touch on that transaction and take their cut, that if just one of those links in the chain is continues to be broken, won't allow for anything but a, you know, but a, you know, consumer cash transaction industry to exist. Yeah. You know, a, a, a B2B banking situation. Yeah, that's inevitable. But anything that's, you know, but a, but a credit card purchase at a dispensary may never be a thing. Yeah. I don't know. So back in the day, you said links, and it made me think of something. It, it re- relates to credit cards. I figure I'm past the statute of limitations on this. <laughs> um, it's not like I did anything illegal. Uh, Cresco may have, though. Who? Let's see, though. Uh, there's a company called Lynx, uh, L-Y-N-X, Lynx. I know that, yeah, I'm, sure. I'm sorry, I'm not no, l- you're sure why I'm leaning on you for the spelling, but um, <laughs> uh, it's Lynx, right? And so it was this card that, that at the time Sunnyside gave me, it was before adult use, and they said, hey, here's this card, you can pair your debit card with it, you pair your credit card with it, you load it up, you come here, you give us the card, we do the transaction, you're good to go. So, okay, I can use my credit card now. That's awesome. I love getting, you know, rewards points and stuff and getting into, uh, you know, paralyzing debt with high interest rate. <laughs> uh, but it's cool, you know, flexibility to be able to use a credit card. I mean, you and don't so have I, enough student loans? No, right. Loans. I spent like $1,500 at the at the dispensary and never got charged for it. Huh. And Lynx is no longer around. I think if you Google them, they're currently in court for a lawsuit, probably for... Uh, Dude. For what we're talking so about. So here, right here's now. here's the other thing, right? We, 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 we talked about it. Like you can you can Google lawsuit stuff about any of these companies mm-hmm. out there, and I'm sure that it exists in spades. I mean, again, just you know, we go back to that transparency thing. Like yeah. some of this stuff has to just come out in the wash for people to know. All right. Were there more tweets? Yeah. We got, yeah, yeah. Let's, let's get sorry. Sorry, I don't mean to get no, us off. No, you're good. Uh so this is the last one. Uh the price of cannabis and and other drugs, mm-hmm. which we've not mm-hmm. we've been talking about cannabis today, um, but uh, the price of cannabis and other drugs have ar- have been artificially inflated as a result of drug prohibition. Prohibition 2.0, aka limiting the amount of cannabis licenses that can be issued, only serves to further this artificial inflation. I know you made a comment about this earlier, where you were like, "Oh, don't give the." just give everybody licenses, the bootleggers licenses and let them go. That's not necessarily what I'm suggesting, but this, this idea where we're like, all right, we're only giving out 140 and we're doing it by a lottery. We're not just allowing people to pay and, and participate based on competence. Economy exists because of the natural capital that the earth yields to humanity. And in that, and in that sense, right, the price of everything that has ever been transacted is inflated yeah and yeah, true. and i don't think that you know while, while there is some inflation of price in uh you know the the drug market overall right uh that uh, you know it 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 comes from simply being in business and and going for that dollar right yeah the, the question is always how much is a consumer willing to pay for this and how cheap can i make it for bingo right like and that is and that is every business everywhere all of the time no matter what it is and in that and in that sense i think that you know until until that component of society and economy changes that you know uh consumable um drugs cannabis alcohol etc are all going to suffer from this you know 
inflation concept, but yeah. it's it is by no means applicable solely to the market that we're discussing right now. Yeah, but can I like to give an example? And maybe it sounds like like you'd be able to take this on. Like, yeah. Cresco in Arizona mm-hmm. sells their one gram cartridges for thirty to forty dollars. Here in Illinois, they sell them for one hundred ten. Yeah, and I say that it's because they can. And that's what the economy dictates. They've like done this calculation of yeah. like how much are people willing oh, yeah. to pay. Absolutely. Um, but I feel like, I think you'd maybe agree at this point, like if we had a market closer to Arizona's or just a little bit mm-hmm. more open, their price would be lower. They're only charging that, like you said, because they're like, how much can we get out of this? Yeah. You know? Yeah. No, I, I don't, I don't disagree with that. I think the, you know, the, the limited market uh, access for, for producers definitely drives that price up. I don't know what other extenuating circumstances drive price in Illinois. Yeah. You know, I, I don't I don't know how much more it costs to to do business business in the cannabis industry in Illinois versus Arizona, right? I will say that you'd think with limited licensing and the capacity to scale like industry has in this state that that would encourage prices to take a downward direction, right? For the for the end consumer. Um, but it but it doesn't, and it's simply a shame. Yeah. Right. Um, but no, I mean it's yeah, they're they're gonna they're gonna wring everything they can out of the market until a point at which they have to become competitive, right? Mm-hmm. But you know, with with lawsuits still, you know, over top of licenses and all sorts of other issues in the state, right? Competition just ain't there yet. Yeah. But competition is gonna come across market segments, not individual operator to individual operator mm-hmm. it's you know it's going to have to be craft grows and small mom and pop dispensaries versus you know the big dogs and 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 you know who's got the political clout and the cash and you know the the notoriety to to play ball here one of the interesting things that, I, that i'm going to kind of cycle back to here is you know the the idea of you know who's willing to have a conversation with you how and about what i think that that Hopefully, or at least I hope that uh, what some of the smaller, the, the craft grow and the smaller dispensary markets uh, look at is they look at media as a as a space to where the bigger players have not engaged and to where they can come yeah. gain their edge. Yeah. And maybe that will be one of the things that pushes some of the bigger guys over the edges going, oh shit, they're going to gobble up our margins by gobbling up the conversation if we don't go involve ourselves in yeah. that. And then you have you know, the, the, the back and forth in the, in the, uh, you know, arena of ideas, not just the marketplace. And that changes the dynamic across the board. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Well, um, yeah, there's, there's, we've discussed a lot today. Uh, I think just, uh, I guess I have, if we could just touch on two topics. I, I, the, I, have you ever heard of the tomato model by Ed Rosenthal? Goodness gracious, that sounds real familiar. Here, I'll, I'll yeah, read it. Yeah, so, please, please do. The model for cannabis legalization is already out there. It's tomatoes. More tomatoes are grown in America by home gardeners than are produced commercially. Yet, there is a robust commercial market for tomatoes and tomato products of all types. Canned, vine-ripened, organic, sauces, soups, ketchup, etc. Mm-hmm. At the same time, small-scale specialty cultivators do well selling their produce at farmer's markets. And mm-hmm. home gardeners with their extra tomatoes, share the bounty with their neighbors as gifts in trade or through informal sales. Cannabis could be handled in the same way, 
commercial growers can thrive side by side with home and specialty cannabis cultivators. I that's love a winner. That. That's a winner. Yeah. That's that's it, man. If if Kyle if Kyle heard that, I mean, he would probably have some tweaks to to point out to it. But that's that's the type of uh, you know analogy or 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 connection that he would probably nod his head at and be like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. That's, it. that's it. So I've got a uh, I've got a good last question for you. Good last question, Stellar. So, what do you think the future of Illinois cannabis looks like? Um, with new with new people coming on the market and everything else, you know, what do you think the future holds? Are we gonna? Are, is there gonna be enough voices to to change the way we do licensing? Oftentimes in states, people lose their fortitude to continue to fight for progress when cannabis is legalized. So, do you think we'll see any more progress? And what do you think it'll just look like? Tell you what, if I get my dude Van elected, then uh, we're gonna we're we're gonna we're gonna see him as a vehicle for that progress because that's the type of interest that that man has in like making things more equitable and accessible for for everybody, you know, especially in you know economically depressed areas like the the space that he's looking to represent here in Southern Illinois. But that's neither here nor there. That was a political shill. <laughs> um, the I you know I don't I don't know I don't know. I think it looks like. It, it looks like a lot of different activities. It looks like things like what Cresco did with their Columbia Care acquisition, right? Yeah. Um, it looks like, uh, you know, Ascend trying to grow itself and be competitive, uh, you know, on a level with some of these other major players like the Crescos and the GTIs, right? So you've, you've got, you know, you've got your, you've got your big marks, you've got your underdogs, and then you've got your folks that, you know, are, are just now getting into, you know, just now getting into the ring to train. And that's, that's your, that's your, um, uh, you know, that's your, that's your craft cultivators and your small dispensary folks. And I, I unfortunately think that this time that the courts have given to the challenges to all of these licenses, um, have really sucked the capital out of a lot of these smaller operators. And that has, that that has done more to push off the craft capacity of the state, you know, taking it from you know a year or two where the craft grow component of this uh, of this state's uh, cannabis economy could could flourish and pushing that out by another five to ten years, right. right? The 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 negative effects of what have occurred in the past year of failure to license activities. Right is going to be felt for at least the next get decade, Absolutely. and then once these people are into this market, they're going to operate it from jaded positions, which is going to make them skeptical from engaging with other industry players, trade organizations, uh, legislative, and and um, 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 uh, administrative bodies. It is it is just going to leave a bad taste in all of these smaller players' mouths. And so what, what I see is the future of cannabis, at least in the next 10 years in Illinois, uh, is spiteful positions that are going to tear at uh, the, I, the fabric of identity that uh, you know, exists around being uh, you know, somebody participating in, in the cannabis industry in Illinois. And that's upsetting. Yeah, you know, it's it is it is really it is really disappointing um, because I don't I just don't think 
that access to market for craft growers and smaller dispensaries and these current licensees who have been tied up in the courts is a threat to the big players yeah. because the big players have economy of scale and the small players have economy of relationships and they are two very different things and everybody can eat. Everybody yeah. can eat. I, I, it really upsets me to, to see you know, positions where it's about taking food out of each other's mouths instead of making sure that there's enough yeah. to go around for everybody. But that's, that's not that's business. Ameri- that's America. Baby. That's not business, baby. <laughs> yeah. um, do, do you think the icing on the cake, just to go with your idea, yeah. uh, is that, you know, the big complaint right now is I take a leap on a product. It's so expensive. So the icing on the cake, when some operators come online and put shelves on, yeah. I've always been hypothesizing that that's when you're going to see the price floor break meaning that the it, you're going to put even more onus on the craft grower to invest in that so, the social side because they're not going to be able to compete with your pricing. Yep. And th- and then they're going to be an even harder of a place after all of these things we just talked about. Yep. All of a sudden the price floor is going to drop, which is going to make a lot of people happy. Mm-hmm. But then it's also going to I th- possibly make them value some of those brands less. Yep. And in the in the trick the trick there becomes, you know, that that you know, how do you, how do you manage your cost, uh, on the other side of that, right? Like what, what can you do as a smaller craft grow to minimize your costs to deliver your product to market at a competitive price point that competes with the folks that have the economy of scale? Because what comes with that economy of scale is, you know, the, the, all of, all of the regulatory and, and, and functional, you know, limitations on you. Right. So can some of these smaller craft grows manage, you know, 12,000 feet of canopy space in a way that makes them competitive in a world of 250,000, you know, square foot canopy space players. Right. Right. And that's yet to be seen because we can't even get it out of the damn court systems. Right. And that's frustrating. But that is the reality of working in a working in an industry of mixed legalities. Yep. And there's so many other topics that I'd love to 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 to, to touch on, um, you know. But it ain't gonna happen because we don't have any more time. <laughs> yeah, we are out of time, Chelanoy. This has been a really fun podcast, Nathan. I just want to thank you so much uh, for sitting down with me today. Handshake in, in on your video. Studio. Yeah. Booyah. It was. Uh, and I'll give you the camera back. Now, now <laughs> see what he's gonna do is there's gonna be an ad one of these days, and they're gonna play like audio, and they're gonna be like, Cole says that he supports the the criminalization of cannabis and they're going to show me shaking nathan columbus <laughs> <laughs> oh man i'm going down we're all going down <laughs> yes, together buddy. something like that <laughs> i'm just trying to be funny well hey i seriously hope you found value uh, in the conversation that we had today i want to pitch it back to nathan as we close out nathan where can we find wtf car uh, oh, carbondale yeah. all what was it all bar yeah. Any so yeah. Any so bar. so so let's talk about the creative projects yes. and yada yada yada. You Do if you plugs. if you are if you are if you are a carbonite, you are you are welcome to engage on the WTF Carbondale platforms across Facebook and social media in any way that you see fit. But if you just want to see what's going on in this little hometown that I love so much is. As we say, this uh, this interesting place with interesting people, full of stories that we love to tie back to our little old hometown here of Carbondale, Illinois. Many of us in uh, in this little podcast that I've got. So you can find you can find the WTF Carbondale podcast out there on YouTube, Facebook, and wherever you get your podcasts from. Um, you can find the new project that I just uploaded two videos to this morning, just for everybody that's listening to this podcast. Um, 
You can find any bar comedy at A-N-Y-B-A-R comedy across the internet as well for comedy shorts that are filmed in a similar style to what we have filmed this particular setup here. Um, let's see, you can, if you really need to reach me for professional reasons, Nathan Colombo on LinkedIn's pretty accessible. I won't throw my phone number out here, but you know, I'm, I'm, I'm accessible on the internet y'all. So if you're anything from a cannabis company who needs some advisement on how to participate in the conversations that Cole and I have talked about today, uh, to, you know, somebody that's, uh, you know, that's a fellow comedian, uh, that's got a show somewhere around here that you think I could show up and film with you. Uh, you know, I got all sorts of interest, all sorts of activity, and I would love to connect with you folks out there. Thanks for the time, Chillinois. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, man. I, uh, I appreciate you hosting the party, and uh, we'll see you next time on the Chillinois Podcast.